Before today's show, I'd like to introduce you to Jeffrey from our new sponsor, Hypersonic Models. I sat down with Jeffrey earlier this week to find out a bit more about what they do and about who they are. Let's have a listen now. Hypersonic Models is our new sponsor on the Sprue Cutters Union, and I wanted to make sure that Jeffrey gets a chance to tell you all about what he does, about the fantastic stuff he provides for your kits, and how they can make your kits better. So, firstly, Jeffrey, welcome to uh, the Sprue Cutters Union. Hi, yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? You're in Japan, right? Been living here for now almost, yeah, no, even over five years. Mm. So, yeah, we moved in. Uh, 2018 and you run uh, hypersonic on your own indeed yeah i started the company back in the uk 2012 i think yeah uh, but it was just a part-time thing and next to next to my my normal job and then um, with the move we well yeah i decided to take the risk and do this full-time what made you start hypersonic uh it was an accident basically uh i want to, i i was a big fan of the the x15 and um that the special hobby kit had lots of problems and so i set about making lots of correction parts but because i i thought i'm i'm being a bit lazy uh, if I want to build all three X15s, um, why not uh, cast cast the parts so 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 I can have multiples? And one thing led to another, and then the company started. <laughs> um, it, it, it was it, even that wasn't really intentional. I, I I thought maybe maybe there will there are just I don't know two three other people who might be interested as well. So I started to post something on, on, on hyperscale back it was and it got really positive response so I thought mm, okay that's interesting and at the same time I was also uh, working on some uh, working on a decal sheet that I, that I wanted to print and I thought okay uh, maybe these could be actual products so yeah that's that's how I set up the, the shop and it went from there and since then, you've concentrated 100% pretty much on uh, post-war jet aviation, right? That's correct, yeah. US aviation? Mostly, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, pretty much exclusively uh, US aviation. US Navy and US Air Force both. And what sort of products do you do? Is it things like control surfaces, cockpits? What sort of stuff do you do? Uh, yes, it's... Um, Quite quite a broad 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 uh, spectrum. It's like sometimes it uh, goes from pylons, ejection seats, uh, correction sets for for problems on kits. Um, yeah, little things like that. I remember one thing you did was there's a bit of a shape problem towards the rear of the fine. Uh, Towards the rear of the Zukimura F4s in 148, and you made a correction for the the fuselage at the back. Yes, of the yes, yes, um, I did, and uh, it, it proved to be a bit controversial. Uh, there were um, <laughs> it, it, it was it was a very big seller. Um, I saw quite quite a lot of them, especially also in in Japan, where where which is not really my market, even though I am in Japan. 
but uh, there were it kind of divided into into those camps who kind of uh, kind of fought uh, kind of to tooth and nail that one camp saying yeah, the, the, it's unbuildable and the other camp is uh, saying yeah totally it, it, it's a non-issue and, and nobody will notice mm. and and some some even some even were, were trying to prove that the issue didn't, didn't even exist and but yeah i don't know well that's i mean that's aftermarket all over there's always going to be a contingent of people out there who don't really care too much about shape issues and things like that and that's great mm. this these kind of products aren't for them and then there'll be a, a small number that say i can do it myself which is fine because they have hundreds of hours yeah. a week to work on it but there's always going to be a lot of people out there i think who don't have a lot of time and if there's a perfect solution they can pick up like the ones you make for various kits then you know it's good that that stuff's available mm. You also do stuff, I think, for the F-16A, the 148. Which kit was that for? That's for the new uh, Kinetic kit, um, because the uh, the kit is, um, is is the later F-16A, so it's the MLU. Or but There are various parts contained in the kit that are even applicable to to the early versions, but a number of critical parts are not. So, so for instance, the, the small um, stabilators are, are not in the kit, um, an early instrument panel and combing are not in the kit and, and, and stuff like that. So that's that's what I'm providing. So how many parts are there in that set? Uh, I think there are seven or eight or so there. So there's a, uh, there's an early uh, environment control system exhaust port, uh, which is which is quite different to, to the later F-16s as well. Um, the, the, yeah, the, as I said, the stabilators. There are um, static wicks included as well. They they are printed from slightly elastic um, resin, so they're, they're super thin. But they because there's a slight elasticity in them, they they don't break easily. Because mm. some three D resin can be quite brittle, right? But yeah, uh, pretty much yeah. all of them are. So that's. I, I mix a bit of um, of a, an elastic compound into, into all of my resins, so um, all all of my printing resins are slightly less brittle than they were if if I used hundred hundred percent stock resin. But for for so, these for these tiny tiny super thin parts, I I have a special mix. So a bit more forgiving when you're trimming off supports and stuff yeah, like that, or yeah. even handling the model a bit exactly, uncarefully, yeah. should we say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's still more brittle than uh, than cast resin, but mm. it's it's not as bad as uh, the, the 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 stock resins. Now you originally started out hand mastering parts, but you went over to three D. When mm. did you make the change? It was a gradual transition, basically. I pretty early on, I think, as I said, I started in, in twenty twelve the shop. I think I did my first cat design part in uh, 2013, but I used the ver- various numbers of, of outsourced uh, print print services um, mm-hmm. to to have the parts printed, and then I used that as the master to uh, f- for casting, and I did that for quite a while. In the end, I, I used um, I used uh, gas patch models quite a lot for their uh, as a printing service for me, and then. It was the advent of uh, of the yeah the, the latest generation of printers that got me into 
printing my own production parts as well because mm-hmm. I had been working with with printed masters and casting for for quite a while and and the and the masters were of course cap designed previous to that but it's it's the yeah the the, the newer high qual- high or higher quality um affordable printers that uh, got me to to do, print my own parts I understand you've got some more sets coming soon for the kinetic uh f one o four as well yeah that's correct um I've just released a a backdate set for for an a so the kinetic has a has a kit um that's marketed as a a stroke c but basically the parts in the kit are just the c there there are no a parts in in the kit so with 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 this set that's just released, uh, you can build an, uh, a late A with a uh, with with a late with that uh, with the upward uh, firing ejection seat like the C. So you can use the kit from uh, the seat that's contained in the kit, or use use uh, one of the various aftermarket seats. But all the other parts that are needed to build build an A are in the kit. Uh, I have a few other um, A and uh, other. F F one or four sets um, coming up as well in the future. Can you tell us about those, or are they top secret at the moment? Uh, one thing I've hint- I've hinted I think uh, at publicly is uh, is an early A so with a downward firing uh, ejection seat. So it would include a complete uh, complete new three D printed ejection seat, new cockpit interior bulkheads, um, ejection rail, new canopy. Um, uh, tubing that that goes around there so uh, that's going to be quite involved but unfortunately um kinetic has thrown a bit of a curveball in that (laughs) they um they molded uh kind of recesses in their canopy to accept the uh, the tubing for for the later version but those recesses, recesses but because the 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 early type tubing is different those recesses are not used and they stick out like a sore thumb so I'm now have the conundrum to come up with a solution to have a new canopy manufactured. So, which is um, the, the three options are resin cast, clear resin, I would, where I have a, one guy who could uh, could do that because I'm not prepared to do that because I I know how difficult it is. Um, then there is uh, low pressure short run injection molding. And I have another, even an option for a high-pressure uh, proper tool um, injection molding, but each has got their their issues, and I need to find find the best solution. So that that's the issue, basically, that needs to be resolved before you can go ahead with that set. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have the I have the master designed; it, it's ready to go. But and I have I've done a test printing at home as well but i just need to see uh, which route uh, i can go forward it sounds like uh, the quality of the items you produce is the key thing for you at hypersonic uh yeah 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 absolutely yeah economy and uh, and cost and things i always uh, look look at second <laughs> it's yeah maybe maybe it's not 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 a wise way to operate but um, I, I, I always, I only do stuff that that I would be happy to 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 use myself if if I was I was I was to build this or I was to buy this somewhere else. 
So to sum up, I mean, you do a huge range of uh, fantastic upgrades, conversions for uh, various post-war uh, aviation, jet aviation subjects. Where can people buy this great range? Uh, first port of call would be my website, hypersonicmodels.com. It's there's the web shop. Uh, but I have a number of um, uh, retail partners around the world. There's uh, Victory Models in the US. There is the 48ers in Cyprus serving Europe. Uh, Aviation Megastore as well. Um, there's BNA Model World in Australia. Um, there is my local uh, uh, shop in Osaka, Hobbyland. And affordable models in um, Malaysia, um, yeah, that, that's that's. I think that's it. Do you have a UK seller? Okay, so if a UK customer orders in my web shop, they pay uh, directly VAT on my products uh, in my web shop, um, and so when they when they receive the order, they don't need to pay they don't need to pay VAT uh, to the postman, and they don't need to pay a service or handling charge. Well, thanks, Jeffrey, for coming in and telling us all about hypersonic. And don't forget, you can find out more about the fantastic resin products from Hypersonic at hypersonicmodels.com. Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, get on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. All right, folks out there in listener land, what is up, gangsters? This is the Sprue Cutters Union back at it again. And this is episode 50, the big five zero. Hard to believe that we have been doing this stupid shit for this long. But here we are. And today it's going to be kind of a, I don't know, sort of a special thing. I am joined, as usual, by my partners in crime, Mr. Tracy Hancock. Hello. And Mr. Chris Meddings. Hello. And because we're going to run it a little differently this time, this is going to be kind of just a bro chat. It's not going to be the usual nonsense plus something actually constructive interview kind of thing. We are just going <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> I just thought people tune in for the interviews. <laughs> they'll get to that's, that bit. They'll that's go what I'm switch right? off. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's, yeah, they don't so tune in to hear us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, if you don't really care for the nonsense portion of the show, you should just quit now because that's all it's going to be. It's a high grade nonsense. It's, it's like an Oreo with no cookie, nothing but filling. That's what exactly perfect <laughs> analogy uh, for the next two hours. It's just going to be dumb and random and if you don't like that you should just go away now so you know we'll save you the save you the trouble but in that interest we are joined by one of our oldest friends of the show 
going clear back to what episode one, right, Matt? Yep. Mm. Episode one. Okay. Yep. Yep. OG, our very first guest ever, has returned again, Mr. Matt McDougal of Dukes Models. I apologize in advance for being here. <laughs> Matt had nothing better to do today. Yeah, yeah. He, this we is were community like, service for Matt. Yeah, we were, we were begging. I hope the we judge were, accepts it. We were about to put ads on Craigslist, Craigslist for guests. And for a guy Matt, with a van and a limp. Matt, <laughs> Matt always bails us out, though, and uh, classes the show up. But we also have a newbie to join us uh, to become the newest member of the Sprue Cutters Union Alumni Club, and that is Mr. Jake McKee. What's up, Jake? Hey, is this the place where you were looking for the guy with the limp and the van? (laughs) Did you bring the van? I logged on to the webinar for work, and here I am. I'm not sure where I am at. (laughs) So Jake is joining us because on top of just being an all-around cool cool dude and a good model maker, he's got lots of interesting things and ideas when it comes to like social media because that's your job, right, Jake? Don't you like aren't you like a high-paid bougie consultant or something? Yeah, that's actually on the business card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I help companies build uh, online communities and fan engagement programs and offline fan events and that sort of thing started my career at lego and uh was at apple uh built and sold a company you know doing this sort of work so yeah i've been at it a while very cool very cool. i have to say your work for us has not been impressive <laughs> <laughs> yeah we need some fan engagement lessons for sure um i think we still have four or five left though you should probably and, stop uh, them <laughs> Yeah, there's that, but you know they're loyal. I mean, I, you know, I think they've proven that, and we definitely appreciate that. They've stuck with us for over two years now, and uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be good fun. Um, and what we normally do, Jake, since you're brand new, I mean, you've I, I don't know if you've ever actually even listened to us before. You have any idea how this is gonna go? <laughs> I, yeah, I've 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 heard a few of them. I've spent some time. I want some of those hours back. But, you know, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, I'm I'm a long time listener. I, I think uh, I I don't think I started right at episode one, but uh, I I started I think at ten or eleven, some something fairly early. Long time listener, short time fan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think we got good about episode forty eight. <laughs> there was that brief little flash yes yeah yeah we we popped up to like eight listeners we had a huge huge spike so yeah we've had some really we've had some really cool guests uh but we'll get to that anyway the normal thing as we do is uh we just talk a little bit uh about what we've got going on what we're up to and no reason to discontinue that tradition but uh, in honor of our guests, McDougal, what have you been up to lately? Oh, uh, shit. So I've basically been waiting for it to not feel like the surface of the sun here in Texas. Uh, it's been just ridiculous out. So I've been passing the you know the month or so since Nats um, doing some naked build reviews. So 
Wait, 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 what? Well, I mean, it's I really knew, hot out. I knew it was hot. I knew, I knew it his was hot fa- in Texas, but... <laughs> his OnlyFans is a sight to behold. His YouTube is a gold white sight. I mean, does it, do, do, do you have trouble sticking to the chair after a couple hours? I mean, is it... <laughs> Lots of the meaty 40 first. Um, no, so it's basically just building, uh, you know, building kits without any sort of paint, any sort of finishing, just seeing how the plastic goes together and evaluating what comes in the box for what it is. Um, you know, there is that whole, like, there's no bad kit, et cetera, but at the same time, it's plastic piled into a box and that plastic piled into a box is what it is. And so I just kind of look at it that way. Um, and so I did the Great Wall Hobby F14B, which I wasn't that big a fan of just based on how expensive it is. And the uh, new Tacom Hetzer Leap production, which is fine. I mean, it's a, it's a great Tacom. You know, if you've built a Tacom kit, kind of know what to expect. Um, I personally find them kind of fun and playful. I don't really know why they shouldn't. You know, it shouldn't feel that way to me. But I don't know something about them. They've got a little scrappiness to them that I enjoy. So, been doing that. Uh, now I am plugging away at an Edward Wildcat, and uh, John Colasanti keeps sending me revisions of his amazing 3d printed engines and so i'll paint one and it'll be looking good and he's like hold on i'm sending you a new one and then i'll wait and i'll get another one I'm like fuck i gotta paint that one now too so uh having a lot of fun with it but uh really looking forward to just temperatures dropping a little bit so i can actually spend time outside and not hate myself john colasante uh i mean dude those engines he is a he is a legit engineer and cad wizard Right, I mean, he's in our little think tank group. He's a three D printing wizard. Uh, he's just he just does amazing stuff, and uh, he gave me one of those engines when uh, I hung out with him in San Marcos, and it really is a work of art. Yeah, they're amazing. I mean, the you know all the all the all the spark plug wires are you know part of the thing. It's just part of the print, and and the uh, the cyclone that he sent me for the FM two is. I think even more amazing, like just the the work on the cooling fins and just the textures going on there. It's insane. And yeah, I've been sitting here for the past six weeks, like I need to get some three, you know, some 3D design stuff going for a couple of projects I've got going on. And I still am uh, procrastinating on like scanning the parts that I need for reference to get the measurements six weeks later. And he's designed like, I don't know, two or three more <laughs> engines since then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he struggled for a long time with his first engine, but I think once he kind of got the got the methodology down, it really opened the floodgates because if you've ever looked at like the cylinder head of something like a wasp or you know, one of those World War II era radials, it's a really really complex shape and then you divide it up into all those cooling fins and it is a very very non-trivial task in CAD uh, to try to I mean it's just it's ridiculous. So and it's pretty much impossible to injection mold them and have them come out good. Yeah, yeah. There's no way you can injection mold it to get the shape right because it creates undercuts and because they're so thin. Um, and, and you know, what you can achieve with 3D printing is amazing, but designing it is super, super hard. Um, him and Fanch, I mean, Fanch has done, I mean, he did the whole 20, R2800. And uh, you can get that over on Cults on Fanch's uh, page there. 
And I don't know if John's going to sell his or not. He should, because there's already people who are like, bro, bro, please, I need it. So. I mean, I'd buy a larger scale one just to paint the engine, just to have it as a standalone model, because it's that nice. It really is. Yeah, and it would scale well, up. That's what I commented today on, on Matt's uh, uh, Instagram, I think, that yeah, he had posted a picture of that engine. And I'm not an aircraft guy, but all of a sudden I'm thinking, man, if you put that on a on a rack or some sort of lift and just put it in a little factory vignette, that in itself would be uh, a fun little project. Oh, like, shit, I want to print one out at one-tenth and just make it and you know, have that be a, a kit in and of itself. It's almost too nice to put a cowl over it because it hides too much of it. So how was it painting it? Because, you know, the, having the whole thing as one piece where you've got all the, the spark plug wires, the ignition ring, a lot of stuff that's normally set different colors, you know, that's, that's going to be a challenge. How was that? Uh, I think it might be more of a challenge if it were larger, if it were like one thirty second or something. Where oh, it would be harder. It would be harder. Yeah, because it, the the de- there's more detail that needs to be covered, and mm-hmm. the fact that it's one forty eighth, the fact that it is going to be in a cowl, gives you a bit of room. And like the first one I painted, I basically just primed it first, uh, then I hit the cylinders with like you know dura aluminum or something like that. Uh, and then came through with a dark gray for the crankcase cover and went through with a brush and some uh, ammo steel because I love that stuff for just like a good shiny silvery paint. Uh, did that for the ignition ring and you know some of the some of the uh, connections for the wires and then the wires got like a pale gold type color just and that was that was kind of like the first pass before he was like, "Hold on, I'm sending you a new one." So I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to go all the way if I'm replacing it. Uh, but honestly, it wasn't that bad. I just, you know, the gray. I just threw it in the uh, PS771 and has that like tiny ass needle. So I just I didn't even have to mask. I just shot it and just kind of kept going. So yeah, I mean, in 148th for a Wildcat, I think it's totally sufficient. Again, if it were. If I were making this like you know a, a large one tenth scale display piece, I'd probably be, be a ugh, dear God, where'd my tongue go? Uh, <laughs> I'd probably be a bit more rigorous with it, but considering where it's going to be, and I, I mean, I think it looked fine as it was where I kind of where I kind of left it. So I'll be uh, posting plenty of pictures of the new ones as I as I screw with them over the next couple of days. Very cool. And did he make it to he made it to fit the Edward kit, right? Yeah, yeah. The the new ones actually have the uh, the little like mount on the backside of them that plugs right into the right into the fuselage so i was all stressing about how to set up that mount on the first one i received because it was just kind of like you know it was like a ken doll on the back and so uh, <laughs> just trying to figure out what that was going to be but you know this one's got all the bits it needs so yeah nice and easy yeah we've got some guys just doing amazing stuff have you guys seen um tom the stuff that Tom Annis is doing and get, you know, getting ready to go to SMC to have some new products. The, uh, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? The, the whole edge of the canopy on a Corsair that's got the whole, you know, the canopy locking mechanism and the mirrors yeah. and all of that for the one thirty second scale Tamiya kit. I mean, that, that isn't just brilliant modeling. That is micro engineering at its finest. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's very cool. And of course, Tom just, I mean, he, you know, he's just a talented guy all around. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty neat to see what he comes up with. So 
good stuff. And I look, I think the naked thing that you're doing, I mean, okay, that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a bad start already. I think the I think the um, the the uh, unpainted build review thing <laughs> that you're doing <laughs> is really cool. I know you started to do that a few years ago, and you kind of it kind of lost momentum. But I think it's awesome because you know we all agree that the whole hey look at these sprues highly recommended is you know super useless because yeah. something can look great can have awesome detail and be perfectly molded and 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 then just be you know disastrously engineered and the fit can be terrible and so i think it's a real service to the community and um <laughs> it's uh also hilarious to see some of the hatred that it inspires <laughs> oh it's amazing yeah yeah um the the fake page that that was set up uh yeah. that i think ran for a couple days um yeah <laughs> yeah it's like man I, I i wish that i could uh i wish that i could have the the energy to be that petty about anything <laughs> it's like i'm mad that somebody wrote a review of a kit that i have nothing to do with so i'm going to spend all this effort making a fake page to post just really not even like like even my 10 year old would think that the jokes were just crass and not even anywhere close to amusing. Um, you know, just to do that and like have that be like a thing that you spend attention, like focus and attention on is like, yeah, can I have some of that free time. Yeah. Are, are, you, mean, are you infamous in your actual hometown <laughs> or is it just on the internet? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm on the internet famous. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Go to the grocery store and people are like throwing jars of sauerkraut at you. That's very specific. I mean, I am I am sitting there, you know, dropping expletives while I'm grocery shopping. So you know, I do get do get some. It's naked food reviews. Yeah, he <laughs> gets, can't be in here doing that. He gets a little he gets a little sideways in his uh, neighborhood group on Facebook occasionally. You guys are going way too fast on my street, or you know, it's uh, but it's fascinating because, like, to give some context. You know, going back, what this was early in the history of SMCG. You did the, the uh, what was it, the Kitty Hawk uh, SU twenty two, SU seventeen, the SU seventeen, the fitter that didn't fit. Yeah, and uh, and it, it just, I mean, the rage was, you know, some of these guys oh, it was hilarious. Oh, they were apoplectic. I mean, just just uh, just blowing gaskets left and right, and. Uh, this basically happened again, except now these guys created this page called Dukes with three O's. Dukes yeah. models. With two L's. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, super clever. Right. Super <laughs> clever and edgy, bro. And making fake posts and commenting as you on some of these other groups. Uh, it, it was it was truly I mean, how does it feel to know that you live rent-free in these people's heads? For so long, honestly, it's uh, it's kind of sad, and that's how I think. You know, it's like it's like Jesus. Like <laughs> you're like Jesus. I, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Y'all need sure y'all need. He lives red feet a lot. That's, that's what you need, right? Y'all need Jesus. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Again, it's like I, I can't imagine having that level of you know petty obsession to where you're gonna. 
I can't even imagine like just, you know, like starting up like a fake screen name and going just to like post just the nastiest, stupidest shit in someone's like YouTube comment. Like yeah. I, I don't, I, it's like, no, I'll just comment as myself and say your video sucks. You know, <laughs> right. here's why it sucks. And I, yeah, so I, I don't understand the whole like, ooh, we're going to sneak around. It's like, is it, it's like the digital equivalent of like trying to egg someone's house or something. And it's like, <laughs> who cares? So yeah, it's, it's more just like I, when I first, when that, that page first came to my attention, I was like, whatever, you know, ooh, it has one like, cool. You know, that, that's wonderful. Um, but then when they started commenting on other pages that and other things like that, and they like start bringing in other, you know, tagging other pages in to like talk shit about them too. It's like, okay, I need to say something like, Hey, I'm aware this is out there. It's not me. It'd be cool if they got some psychiatric help. Yeah. Well, a little, a little sunlight's a good disinfectant and it's not like anybody was fooled. I mean, everybody, yeah. who, everybody who pays attention to you at all knows. And it was, and the thing is, is that, Within a pretty close range, we know who these turds are, and yeah. and and it's the same it's the same guys over and over again who have been following you and me around like angry chihuahuas for like the last eight years, you know because oh God I said you don't have to gloss before decals. <laughs> don't, don't don't say that again. You're, I mean, there are people out there with thirty years experience who'll be really upset about that. <laughs> right. I don't think they're like Chihuahuas because let's be honest, Chihuahuas bring their hate right out in the open, and they they are they are not they don't they don't like shrink away from it. They're like fuck you, I'm going to kill you. If I wasn't five pounds, you would not have legs. Yeah, like, let it pretend to be a Rottweiler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're much more honest about it. And, you know, yeah. and these guys, I mean, we've had what now? Three or four imitation pages of SMCG over the years. Mm. And and the Edward group as well. They, we kicked yeah. them out of there and they did the same yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, the Edward group. And what's hilarious is when, you know, you, you get one of them out in the open and you call them out on it, they just play the victim, you know. It's like, oh, you're anyway. It's yeah. I don't want to waste much more time on it. You guys know the deal. It's but it is. It's it's hilarious and sad. And we're gonna talk about that with Mister McKee when we get into the whole social state of social media thing. But in the meantime, Jake, tell us what you're up to. Yeah, I'm actually working on finishing some stuff for once. Uh, <laughs> I uh, for for a number of reasons. We'll probably talk about it in the mental health section. Uh, I uh, I love to start. I don't know that I know how to finish most of the time with with a lot of these projects. So, uh, but I actually I'm I'm pretty proud of this uh, little Model T uh, vignette that I've been working on uh, that started in Rick Lawler's workshop at Nats uh, in San Marcos. Uh, started sort of just conceiving it, uh, hacked around on it with, you know, too few tools and, you know, got kind of the idea down and then started over again when I got home. Uh, little small, you know, four inch by six inch uh, vignette or so. Uh, but yeah, it's almost the, the base is done, the figure's done. I'm just waiting on the, the replacement Vargas models to arrive. Uh, the, the one I got at Nats that uh, I thought, hey, this would be perfect on this little vignette. Had a had a big old nasty print line through the middle of it, so he's he's working on replacing it as we speak. Well, that's good. Uh, that's but, cool that he's standing yeah. by it. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a little bit of a communication challenge, but I think that we've hopefully we've resolved that. But uh, you know, great little kits. He's he's got some really nice designs for some really unique things. Uh, 
which, you know, that's kind of where I'm, I've been doing this a long time and I'm finally getting to a point of saying, okay, I want to try some, some new stuff, something I haven't done before. So this, this Model T with, with tracks, not wheels is, uh, you know, is on the vignette. It's just a nice, simple little scene with a little lit up street pole that uh, I converted from a, the mini art uh, house accessories kit. And, uh, used foam to do the cobblestones and uh, played around with a couple of uh, a couple of jars of various uh, AK and MIG products I've been holding on to. Finally broke out their concrete, uh, the AK concrete, which was real nice. But uh, so that's one. And then finishing the other, the figure that uh, Matt and Will and I were doing with uh, Jim Rice, the medieval soldier. Mm, at the painting, bust, yeah, I think. at the painting workshop in April. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, he. I, I just finished the face in the workshop and then had to leave a little bit early. And, uh, so I've been working on the, the rest of him uh, the last, what was that, two months ago or something? Kind of on and off between the vignette project. And, uh, you know, tried some new techniques with the, uh, the the splatter paint. You know, you turn your airbrush pressure way, way down. And uh, Matt and I talked quite a bit about that. So he gave me some pointers. So I got some good texture on both the shirt and the, and the cape. And, um Using a, using the tutor, one of the tutorials out of the uh, the red FAQ figure book uh, that you know I love so much, but uh, I've got the the newer one that's got all the AK third gen uh, mm -hmm. references. So that's been that's been fun, uh, you know, to do the leather hood. So I'm actually making some good progress on that. But yeah, I'm hoping to finish the figure by this this weekend, and then uh, the vignette just as soon as the the, the replacement Model T shows up. Very and cool. I've got uh, about 75 options for the next project. I've been really <laughs> trying hard to start one at a time lately. <laughs> I've been trying and failing at that. That reminds me, though, the, speaking of the workshop, Matt, have you been using those those Pro Acryl uh, Metallics that, that we bought? A little bit. Um, I actually wanted to use them on the, on the engine, and I... I could swear I had like a dark silver or something, but I couldn't find it. I, I don't know. It's somewhere on my bench. I need to go and like clean shit up. But again, it's been a thousand degrees. So every time I go out there, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is just walk around and like organize things right now. So, <laughs> you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting until we get a, an actual cold front, but uh, yeah. And, and the, their regular paints, I actually kind of fell out of favor with like, they, they did some weird stuff when I thinned them down, they, it's like the the pigment like pulled away from the edges of the paint or something, and I haven't really had time to diagnose what's going on with that. But it doesn't happen with you know the AK Gen threes or with Vallejo or with other things. So I've just been going back to my the ones I know. So I just tried that dark silver, that that Pro Acryl dark silver. Uh, you guys were talking so much about how much you liked them that I went and picked up a couple, and man, they the the metallics paint. Yeah, their metallics are amazing. Yeah, the pigment is just, it, it, it's some of the finest pigment I think I've ever seen. And uh, I, I mean, it brushes beautifully. I, I've been using it a little bit on some details. And so I was just curious. Good stuff. You know, Jake, the thing that that I, I that really impresses me about you and that I love is, is you know, kind of like I was saying about, about, about Martin Drayton. Is that you're just into everything? You're in that you're in that stage where you're just trying everything and and exploring all sorts of different, you know, materials and building in all kinds of different directions. And it's it's cool. I still remember when you messaged me that the one day asking me how you could modify the feet on the three D printed pigeon. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, where is this going? I think that was one of our first sorts of conversations, and and. Uh, <laughs> 
I just, yeah, I had an SDL. I was, I was brand new at 3D printing and had an SDL of a pigeon that I was trying to put on that barn diorama yep. and uh, couldn't figure out how to make them a little thicker without, you know, the master files and was curious if there was an option. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, tool and technique nerd, uh, which is part of the reason I don't finish anything because I pick up so many, you know, new tools or a new line of paint here or there, or, you know, I hear about something, uh, somebody's doing something new with, you know, stippling with your airbrush and i'm like well i gotta try that uh so then i spend an exorbitant amount of time trying to get it get it refined and by the time i'm halfway decent at it i'm like well that project's kind of boring let me move on uh, <laughs> which is why i have a bunch of shelf queens and i actually went through and did a bunch of housekeeping a couple weeks ago and threw out uh effectively all the shelf queens that i had and said i got plenty more models to work on i don't need to be having these things just you know poking fun at me every time i walk in the hobby room but uh but, you know, that's I'm, I'm on this vignette, for instance, I've been trying some some new techniques and, you know, doing the wiring up of this lamp, the street lamp and you know, just trying to do some stuff and instead of uh, just just testing it. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've got I've got reviews and thoughts on a whole bunch of tools. Uh, if you've if you've ever thought about it and you uh, and I've you probably tested it at some point. Yeah. And you write a lot of that stuff. You have a blog, right? And you write about a lot of that stuff. I do. Yeah. Uh, Build.jakemckee.com. Uh, I, you know, I've been trying to, I, I write up some of it. I've been trying to do better at it, uh, in real time, uh, as part, in part for my, uh, my own, you know, note taking, uh, I, you know, I'll mess around with this, you know, AK versus MIG concrete, for instance. And then, you know, two years from now, I'll be like, which one was better? I can't remember. So, <laughs> you know, then I got to do, go through the whole process again. So I'm trying to actually write some of this stuff down. Well, Jake, you do a lot of cool stuff, but the one thing I have to say is we don't see nearly enough of it on the old Facebooks. I mean, I know you're a member of SMCG, and uh, you know I rarely see you post your work in progress or your finished stuff. And so when I got to see some of your dioramas in person in San Marcos, I was honestly, dude, I was blown away. I, I mean, I, I knew, you know, because you'd asked me some things and it sent me a few pictures, but uh, you've come a long way, man. You're the stuff you're doing is 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 really good, and uh, I hope you don't mind people seeing it because you know we're gonna have to post it in the show notes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It, that was as much about my. So I, one of my other hobbies is photography, and so as as we all are with our with our, you know, cross cross hobby uh, pollination. If you're not uh, doing the right level of work in one hobby you can't showcase it in the other so you know the photography brain was so insulted by the the workbench photos that i was taking and i hadn't really <laughs> set up any any space to take good photos so uh i just wasn't really bothering so i've got a little bit of a, a kind of a mini setup now uh in the in my small hobby room that i can take some of the smaller stuff but i need to put some effort into the uh the other photography work but uh and getting the space set up to take better pictures so you know i've after your shaming, Will, I've I've been trying to do a little better at that. <laughs> My so shaming. thank you for the push. <laughs> Good natured shaming, sure. Well, look, I just love seeing beautiful work, and it's just fun to see people make progress. And I mean, your stuff is interesting. You've got a lot to say and a lot to offer, and you know, I just I just think uh, you should be out there more. But that's just me, you know. Yeah. Um, and you are quite a good <laughs> photographer as well, so. I know you've also got uh, thoughts and, and, you know, advice whenever people uh, get on that topic, as we occasionally do in SMCG, occasionally. <laughs> Here and there, I, now and then. 
Yeah, I think about every fourth person in there either is or was a professional photographer, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's because if someone who isn't posts a photo, you're like, oh, photo's small. <laughs> Awful photo's really small. <laughs> I, do, I, I do call out small photos. Will uh, does offer sure. free criticism. Professional yeah, criticism. No. Criticism, yeah. <laughs> it is It is what we do in there, and I firmly believe that if you want good feedback, at a minimum, you got to have, you know, you got to make your stuff Well, you've got to be able to see what you're critiquing, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's really not that, I, that I'm harshing on people's photos. I mean, it's not that, because you don't have to be a professional photographer. You don't have to have, you know, bazillion dollars worth of fancy equipment. It's just that for the purposes of the group, you know, for what we advertise that we're there for, you got to be able to see it. It's that simple. And, uh, and and I also feel like that, you know, when somebody does really amazing work and then their photos don't do it justice, that it's kind of the nice thing to do to try and help them along. Because look, beautiful work deserves beautiful photos. So I, I'm, I'm only joking at the fact that you you offer free criticism. It's, you know, a lot of the times it's like small photos are small. Uh, but the other half yeah. of the time it's like, Hey bro, it looks like your photos are a little underexposed, you know, like maybe try this. Like, you know, if a lot of the times you offer genuine constructive feedback, you know? Yeah. And I don't know what else to say about small photos. I mean, they're small, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Well, I mean, and, and can, a lot of, it's a way of kind of pointing it out without being like yeah. a dickhead about it. Just be like, Hey man, like really? Like, yeah, because they may not even realize. I think a lot of people don't know when they post them that they are under the Facebook maximum resolution of 2048 pixels wide. And they don't know that when somebody's looking at it on a desktop, for example, because who does that anymore, you know, uh, that it's tiny and that you can't zoom in uh, without losing resolution. So, yeah, I do. I point it out because, again, it's about being able to see the work. And I get f- super frustrated when I'm like, oh, man, this is really cool. And then I go to zoom in and all I see is, you know, the jagged pixels. I think a lot of the time it's because people post from a phone and on the phone it it looks good and it looks big. But like you say, you put it on a decent sized screen and suddenly it's like literally this big in the middle of the screen. You know, I'm (laughs) doing something about the size of a postage stamp for the for the non visual listeners. Um, there's a there's a dick pic joke in there somewhere, but yeah. I'm just not awake <laughs> enough yet. <laughs> and you know, yeah. So when you, like when you look at it on a desktop, it just doesn't work. But they don't know that when they post it. So yeah. right, yeah, and they may not be aware. It used to be that Facebook gave you some options for how to uh, up, upload your photos in full resolution, and I think that they've made that much harder. I don't, I don't know for whatever reason, mine seem to all post full resolution across all platforms so the genre of product photography is its own genre right yeah. people have careers doing product photography and part of my irritation with with shooting my models to, to share is my perfectionist brain is so mad at how they turn out whether it's with my iphone or with my uh you know very high-end sony camera right it's either if you don't get it right the colors don't show up right you know trying to take pictures of figures is always you know a nightmare where they don't look you know super grainy and you know like you you get every dot of paint that's ever been put on the figure right the work of taking good photos that actually represent the work that you're doing and not just you know for me did not just piss me off because they're not you know not what i'm seeing in real life uh is, is part of the mental hang-up but you know again with all things including trying to you know 
finish the work, get it out the door, even if it's not perfect. Don't go back and reiterate. Just get it, get it done, get to the next one has been my 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 approach for not just the modeling, but the photography as well. Yeah, I know them feels for sure. But here's a question, because we're all iPhone users, right? All five of us. Mm-hmm. So I've got the new iPhone 14 Pro. Who else does? I'm on 13. You're on 13. You, Jake, you've got the 14 Pro? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Chris, Tracy, what do you guys have? I think it's a 6S. Effie. Yeah, yeah. Still, I, yeah, and they still work great. I, yeah. I, this is not about this is not about. Yeah, that, the camera's right? not fantastic, but it, you know the the phone's alright, but the camera's not. I mean, it's still decent though. It's better than my old little compact digital camera. Yeah, and yeah. the reason that I'm the reason that I'm asking is because pretty much the only reason that I ever upgrade my iPhones is because I want to get the best camera because you know photographer dork, and my iPhone 11 Pro was great, like it had the. It had the, you know, three lenses and, and I mean, they've always, Matt can testify to this, their sensors, because they're so tiny, are a little less capable at processing subtle tonal shifts. And so you can always tell like a, a, a picture when you zoom in on it that's been shot on something like an iPhone because it looks super chunky. I, I don't want to say grainy because that's not quite right, but it's just super chunky. And uh, so there was always that, but it didn't have trouble finding like the right white balance when I'd take photos mm-hmm. at my workbench under my work lamp with the gray, you know, uh, cutting mat. But my iPhone 14 Pro is dog shit. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm an Apple guy. Oh, yeah. I think I think what happened was it was the 12 or the 13 that they introduced the AI uh, photography functionality that's built into the chip and you can't turn it off. Yeah. Um, it's also the same reason why your your lenses have such a hard time figuring out which of the three uh, to choose. And they, you know, uh, on my fiance's phone, hers for some reason constantly switches between them and doesn't grab focus and won't stay on it. Mine does a little better, although it's gotten a little worse. But yeah, the eleven, maybe the twelve. Um, I love taking pictures on. It. I was always mm-hmm. flabbergasted with how good it was. Yeah. And the moment that they introduced those AI features that that come, you know. Uh, strapped to the chip and can't turn off there's a bunch of stuff like this whole like uh, like if you take portraits and it automatically switches into the the enhanced mode that looks like the worst hdr that you've ever seen in your life that you can't turn it off and i've I've searched and searched for two generations of this iphone now and i got the 14 with the hope fingers crossed that that stuff was going to have been addressed but you know it's like they doubled down instead so when you take a picture do you see this thing where you look at it and for a second you're like, ooh, that looks good. And then it changes literally before mm-hmm. your very eyes. Yep. So you see yeah, that too on, the on your 13, Matt? Yeah, and, that, and a lot of times, especially if you're shooting like something close up, that's where a lot of it, it'll be like, is it is it going to try to do the macro mode or is it going to just use the regular lens? And so that, depending on like where, where your distance subject is, it'll do that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, and I've also found that if you take photo, you know, if you take one that's like just on the macro edge of that and you take another one that's just, you know, a, a hair further away that switches back to the regular lens, they'll have completely different white, white balance values. Yeah. Yep. I've seen that. But mine, it's like it's trying to add some kind of a recipe for contrast and tone. And yeah. it, it just it just ends up looking processed. And I'm like, I didn't I didn't ask for that. 
you know, it's, it's really frustrating. So I don't know. It's honestly the first time in, in my entire decade of being an, an Apple guy, oh, way more than a decade, 15 years where I'm like actually unhappy with an Apple product. I, I mean, other than the magic mouse, but <laughs> that's its own thing. <laughs> I mean, well, did, and the, did it I not always... come with batteries? No, they put the, the, it, <laughs> the first it, one it, came it, with batteries and that was a pain in the ass because it just gobbled them up. Yeah, but yeah, I was making thing, a sex toy joke. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Magic Mouse. The well, whole thing about having to plug the. Okay, the locomotion. Yeah, you know? yeah. See, see, Jake. I told you this is what happens. We just, I mean, you know, it's just off the rails in an instant. <laughs> well, you, you hit on one of my burrs, which is as sex a photographer, toys. this is one of the worst pieces of <laughs> photography. Yeah. Photography equipment that, that exists now, and you know, it used to be the iPhone. There would be times I'd be at a photo shoot, and I'd literally be, I just snap a picture with my iPhone, yeah. and I get home, and I'd yeah. be like, "God damn it! Why is this one better than the one that I had? You know, a massive lens and a really great camera right, and lighting right. and thought and yep. whatever." That ended when they added the AI. It's just it's turned into a selfie phone instead of a photography phone. Well, that's that's it because they're not they're not making the phone for you anymore. Yep, that's right. right. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent made it less versatile by trying to make it cool for everybody although i, I will say i came i came from uh a, several years on androids with like samsung galaxy things and those do the exact same shit it's the the exact okay. same we're going to use ai to computationally double the resolution etc and when we're doing that we're gonna also going to try to make the pictures look a little bit more dramatic and engaging and it works great for like if you are on a beach vacation. Mm-hmm. Cool, your pictures yep. will look amazing. But if you're, or if you're taking pictures of your food at a restaurant, they'll look great. But the second that you try to take something that's outside of its wheelhouse, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? We're gonna make this look like a beach vacation. It's like, no, it's not. Stop. So, yeah. Well, I, and you can't turn it off. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, understand why. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's I mean, you think it would be an option, itself. just like the flash. You think you could just sort of select. To use it right. or not use it, wouldn't you? Yeah, that would be much. Well, and as a better. side note, we're fi- we're six minutes into the uh, Apple announcements uh, for the year right now as we record this. So, I'll be curious when we get off to see if they're you know what the new, <laughs> uh, what I'm sure is going to be the iPhone 15, what its uh, feature set looks like. It's going to have extra AI on the chip. <laughs> <laughs> the AI is going to have AI. Everyone, <laughs> give everyone a duck face when they do the photos. <laughs> All of your photos just go straight yeah, to Instagram. Now, yeah. now I'm imagining Chris posing in a selfie with duck face, and I can't get that image out I've of done it, head. actually. <laughs> there's, a, there's a modeler who poses a lot, and I did it to take the piss out of him, but I can't, I can't say who it was. <laughs> I, just, I love the idea of you know, figure painters having to deal with the AI algorithm, like you know, having all their figures doing the blue steel all the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, going back to something uh, Jake said, it is it is especially hard, I think, to take photos of figures because figures have such a, a huge range of tones if you're doing yep. it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I take them, they always end up looking like, you know, I use three colors, dark, middle, and light, and that's <laughs> it. Because mm-hmm. the, all the blending seems to disappear, and it's really hard to get a good photo with it's so frustrating when you've you can see your figure and you can see you've done what you think's a decent job you take a photo and it looks like something you would have done five years ago 
Do you know what I mean? It's just... Well, and I, yeah, and I struggle with that too. And I've I've been thinking about that a lot because this is the first uh, one tenth scale bust I've worked mm. on, versus all the other figures I've done are thirty fifth scale, right? Much different size. And when you're trying to fill the frame with a figure that's already big, like this one tenth, it it does it's it's already kind of blended for you, so mm. to speak, right? But when you're taking this little small thing and trying to fill the frame with it, you have to get so close to it mm -hmm. that now you're really putting it under a microscope to see the paint itself instead of the the, the envisioning of the paint, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the human eye, when you look at the 35th scale, it's at arm's length, right? It's you know it's making those alterations for you. But uh, when you try and take a picture at arm's length of the and you know it's it's postage stamp size in the big in the middle of a big frame, it doesn't look great. And I. I, I stick to that right up until I see some of these really brilliant figure painters and their stuff, their photographs fine. And I'm like, God damn it. Why is my stuff not as good as that? Actually, we should get Calvin Tamil AI. He's really, really good at <laughs> yeah. photographing his figures. He's got lots of advice on that. Maybe we should get him Oop. to just do a Calvin Tamil. Just get him on to yeah. talk about taking, how he takes photos of his figures. It is. I think it's a mysterious art myself. Like mm. it's, yeah. There's something going on there. I mean, I, I do know what, not an expert in this, in this in any means, but one aspect of it, like I've got a Nikon D850 that's my main finished build shooting thing, and it's got a giant sensor on it, and it has amazing tonal range, just fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, I'm generally not of the opinion that, oh, you know, go out and spend a shitload of money on camera stuff, and it'll be give you better results, but it's one of those where for that purpose of tonal range, that camera does stuff that like the iPhone could never even think yeah. about doing. And well, that's part of the recipe. I it's think. it's. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's just a pure physics and engineering thing. I mean, it, yeah. the physical size of the sensor absolutely affects things like signal to noise ratio, and that's what gives it the ability to make those separations between yep. tones that are really close together. And you know, you got to. I mean, the sensor in an iPhone can't be more than what like five millimeters on a side or something and you can if that com yeah. compare that to a, a full frame sensor in your dslr which is called that because it's the same size as a piece of 35 millimeter film yep. you know it's easy to see uh, i mean you know these little phone cameras are pretty amazing for what they do when you think about it mm. oh yeah but we i think are just kind of trying to use them on the fringes and unfortunately they don't give a shit about our use case yeah well, and to be fair, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? And and you know, my my figures don't fi photograph well because I'm not painting like Calvin Tan. And, <laughs> There's you know, that. I'm, we all you know, the reality is, that. like I said, yeah, like I said, you know, you look at some of these guys that are masters, and you know, it's a much smoother blend. It's a much smoother paint laid down. One of the things that I am finding going all the way back to, you know, when I was in high school doing this stuff and got Shep Payne's book and he was talking about putting a, putting your figure up to a mirror because it, it helps you to, it helps your brain go, okay, wait, stop, stop auto-processing, mm -hmm. right? Turn off the brain AI and just show me what I'm supposed to be seeing, yeah, that physically actually seeing. And I think the photos are the same way, right? A lot of times I'll take photos and, and see stuff that I never uh, noticed before because my brain's kind of, you know, filling in the gaps for me. But when I see it in in the photo for some reason it's much different i think that's you know i've been trying to do that more and more with the figure painting so i can figure out you know i'm looking at this 35th scale figure and it looks pretty good the blends look pretty good and then i'll take the photo and, and zoom in on it no oh, shit okay i know exactly <laughs> where it, it missed now 
and kind of go try to go back and work it that way. All right. Well, that's a lot of good conversation about uh, what uh, Matt and Jake have been up to. And before we cover the usual of what Chris and Tracy and I have been up to, let's pay some bills. Hey everyone, it's Chris at Inside the Armour Publications. I'd like to tell you about the new ebook we have available right now, Perfect Pits, the second edition. This is the same book as Perfect Pits that we previously released in print. However, it's now available as an ebook from InsideTheArmour.com and includes new material for a second edition. You can download this book along with any of our other ebooks on the ebook section of our site. In addition, I still have copies of Models from Ukraine Volume 2 if you'd like to help raise some money for a good cause and get a great modelling book full of fantastic artists like Calvin Tan, Paolo Portuese and many others. Please do go to the Supporting Ukraine page of the Inside the Armour site. All these books and more are available right now including Tetra Model PE, Wingsy Kits and a bunch of other great stuff at InsideTheArmour.com Hello, hello. This is Tom Arnish of Arnish Models, interrupting this great podcast for an annoying ad again. If you need high-precision tools, 3D models, decals or resin parts for hyper-detailing, and I'm sure you do, then just visit my webshop www.arnish.io A-N-Y-Z dot I-O Low-priced, worldwide shipping and even free shipping for many countries available. And, believe it or not, all orders above 50 euros qualify for a free decal sheet of your choice. So, hurry up! See you on the interwebs on anish.io Would you like some new details for your aircraft? <laughs> you need the best. You need Anish. That's A-N-Y-Z. Oh, this is so going in. So, so This is so staying in. I like the fact that almost every time it's at the beginning of the podcast, he's like, I'm sorry to interrupt this podcast. Like, yeah, that you know why? Because the... The sod put his own music on it, so I can't blend it in next to another advert because the music will jump. It's like if he hadn't put a music track on it, no problem. The cheeky sod. You know what? He's got a DeLorean. He deserves to go at the front of the line. Yeah, look. I mean, Tom is just living his living his best life with that DeLorean, and yeah, he's 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 just a cool dude. When he when when Chris first told me that he had his own ad that he wanted to us to run, I was like, well, damn, you know, what am I chopped liver? Because I'd been reading them. And then I heard it, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's way better. <laughs> I try to get people to record their own ads because otherwise it's our three voices all the way through. Yeah. And I think listeners just kind of switch off and don't hear the advert. And can so you blame to, them? For their, <laughs> for the sake of the advertisers, if they do it, it wakes people up. Yeah. You know, it's like the way the adverts are slightly louder on TV shows. It just sort of... Well, and hell, I, I love Tom's goofy voice saying, sorry to interrupt this podcast it's i don't know there's just something endearing about it yeah it is with this german accent all right so with that then and all of our bill paying hopefully our sponsors including tom haven't totally abandoned us at this point (laughs) (laughs) meddings what have you been up to lately which wait let me no let's just cut to the chase 
what have you been doing on your secret project lately? Secret uh, project, man. Secret right. project. I can't say too much, obviously, but <laughs> it's a huge thing with five big components and all of the build components are finished. So that's actually a major milestone. It's basically painting and finishing now, and that's it. So uh, there is it, just the outside chance I'll finish it in time for Skirmish. Yeah, because that's like, I mean, today I've said to Matt, is... I've been doing it a year, and it's like everything comes down to the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Why is that? You know? Yeah, which scale model challenge? Next year's or this year's? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Savage. Actually, at the moment, I've got the problem that it won't actually fit in the box, so I'm going to have to make part of it detachable. So that I can fit it in the box to fly with, and then put it back on when I get there. Yeah, my detachable thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since the accident. <laughs> so you're going to have to put a trigger warning on this, Will. The, the day that Chris shows up to one of these podcasts and says, "Here's the project I'm working on in great detail," yeah. and that's all. Yeah. <laughs> I did also start the Mystery Cup. So, ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, now ah. I actually started it a few weeks ago, but we haven't actually mentioned it. I would like to say thank you to Lightspeed Global for providing the kits and to IPMS Hamilton for inviting us to be part of it this year. Um, uh, I feel like we don't mention Lightspeed Global enough, but it's only give everyone kits and then no one says who they are. Lightspeed Global, <laughs> we'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a one seventy second truck, and I'm channeling my inner Alex Clark and doing it as a burnt out one. So um, lots of scratch building. I've already cut the doors out on the bonnet and stuff off the one piece cab. Yeah, so. they changed the they changed the playing field this year. Scratch, yep. you don't have to build it straight out of the box. So thank God, because yeah. there's one thing I wouldn't finish. It's an out of the box build because I just get bored building models out of the box. I probably won't finish it anyway, but you know. Yeah, and a one seventy second <laughs> scale truck straight out of the box. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a weekend's work, isn't it? Yeah. So that's it. That's all. Oh, I went on holiday and that, and it was nice. And now I'm back. So there we go. That's and that's uh, let's see. Today's September the twelfth. So SMC yeah. is what three weeks? No, uh, about a month. Oh, okay. It's the fourteenth and fifteenth. Okay, so. it's the middle of October. Yeah. Okay, good. But cause... I should say I'm going to scale Scotland, not this weekend, the weekend after. So that's going to take three, four days out of it as well. So, so yeah. you spend a year on the building side of it. And you have to figure out how to make it detachable. And that leaves about less than a month to do all of the paintwork and all of the No, I've work. done three quarters of the paintwork already. I've been painting oh, as okay. I go. So, okay. yeah, yeah. We can testify to that. Yeah. We've, we've, <laughs> yeah. We can also testify to the fact that it's 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 gonna be close. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's I mean, if be... I don't make it, I don't make it because I'm not going to rush well, something that's taking a year. I, just I, yeah, I don't want you to rush, especially for a contest. But I really hope you finish because it's going to be dope as fuck, and I, I want to see you know how it how it plays. I think it's going to be super cool. I think it's some of your best work. I think it's definitely my best work. Yeah. Um, talking of deadlines, um, the first of October. Don't forget is the deadline for entering your online um, entries for the competition at Scale Model Challenge. You'll still be able to register on the day, but queuing up with all the other modelers carrying the boxes and missing the show is not the best way to enjoy being there. Ooh. So pre-register and then you can go straight up to the front pretty much pick up your, your details on your model put them on the table and go and enjoy the show so I make sure you do that at scalemodelchallenge.com i didn't even think about that you guys have 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 bullied me into shipping the, the, <laughs> t- the, t- the t- you're there go please take my model yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> to shipping the tiny stang from the past Musaru Cup over there. And I'm shipping it to Tom, assuming he's still talking to me after this episode. And, uh, it's me who he won't talk to. <laughs> and he's, he's very kindly offered to take it and uh, hand it to you guys so y'all can can shepherd it through the thing. But I didn't even think about like registering it in, in that part. Yeah. I'm just focused yeah, jump on getting on and it do that. shipped. Yeah. Okay, good. I can yep. do that. That's going to be a project for this week. So, all right. So what about you, Hancock? What have you been up to? Pretty similar situation to Mettings. Uh, went on a quick little vacation over the Labor Day weekends. Uh, just kind of got back at the bench this week. Uh, weathering the Panther has started. I, I've, I've got the lower hull pretty much weathered now. I'm moving on to the upper surfaces of the hull. Um, but unlike Chris, I have already decided that there's no way in hell this thing is going to make it to SMC. Um, <laughs> it's just not. Uh, I'm going to keep working on it and keep pushing it forward because I am enjoying it a lot. Um, but no, it, it's not going to make it. The, the little Panzer one vignette is the only thing I'm taking to, to SMC. I should say that the secret project, there's another reason to have it done in time. I'm planning to announce a book about it on the Sunday, so it better be there. Ooh. Otherwise, that's going to go to shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, congrats on the new book, too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, semi-new. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should really mention that so people can buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Perfect Pits did really well last year. I released that, and then I released the um, Models from Ukraine Volume 1 um at the, within a month of each other and both of them went great going all i did was post books for a month it was brilliant uh sold really well and then it sold out and then uh Dai nippon kaiga asked me to if they could publish it in japanese and when they did they said they wanted a bit more content so i asked Fanch lubin to do um an article and he did uh one for the cockpit of his uh what's that plane the uh tiger tiger shark yeah the, uh, thank you f7f yeah yeah yeah, the one yeah, he made he the, the engines for too. Yeah, he did the uh, a cockpit article for that. So um, I asked Dynapon Kaiga if they minded if I did the ebook because obviously I want them to have a chance to sell their book. They said that was fine, and they were fine with me publishing um, Fanchi's article. So it's come out as an ebook now and an expanded edition on the first one, which includes Fanchi's article. So if you've already got it in print, you can get a, you know, you can buy it again because <laughs> it's more stuff. Uh, didn't you put more content in for the, one of the Japanese, uh, the 48, no. the plastic potato? No, other than that, it was all the same content. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think uh, what Jake was talking about also was your, the scratch building book from AK has come out. Yeah, the scratch building Oh, that book. one. Yeah, I forget about that. Because, <laughs> oh, that one. <laughs> well, there's a bit of a story with that. Um, they asked me to write a book. I wrote a book, but they thought there wasn't enough content, so they added a lot of content. And about 20% of the book isn't mine. But because it's a bit vague on the inside of the cover, who did what, everyone's saying, oh, you did a great book. And I feel really bad because there's work in there from people like Robert Dopp and um, a bunch of other really good people. Uh, so it's not all mine. So <laughs> some of it's mine, some of it isn't. Uh, so if you open the book and you really like some of the scratch work in it, it's probably the other guys. And <laughs> if, if it looks like white dog shit, it's uh, it's from me. So, um, yeah, but you can get that now from uh, AK Interactive or anywhere that stocks it. And it's modeling from scratch, Styrene Manual 15. Uh, Styrene Manual Learning Series 15. There we go. And it's got additional work in there from uh, Oliver Deering, uh, Massimiliano 
Para, uh, Jose Brito, Christoph Pulinks, Nicholas Triantafulu, Ruben Gonzalez, uh, Fran Romero, and Daniel Zamabide. But it's a great, you know, because it's not all me, it's a great book and it's worth getting. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I keep checking the AK uh, iPad app every day to see if it's on there yet, because I've been trying desperately not to buy new physical books as much as I can. It's in print now, um, so it shouldn't be too long before it's available as an ebook. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the reasons I released Perfect Pits as an ebook, it's so expensive now to ship a book from Europe to the US or from the UK to US that I thought, you know, I mean, on a £25 book, customers in the US were paying £20 to ship one of my books. And they can ship it for free over an ebook. So obviously you don't have the printed book, but at least you get the reading without the, uh, without giving the post service a lot of money. Free, 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 free. Always good. Mm. It's good. Well, (laughs) reminded me that exists. (laughs) No, it absolutely needs to be reminded because you need to sell some of them things for sure. Well, no, I don't get paid per copy. I don't care. I've been paid already. Oh, you got a fixed. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like every time we mention Warren's book, he's like, whatever. I already got paid for it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay because you still earned the recognition, man. You put in the work, still, you still earn the recognition, even though that doesn't necessarily pay the bills. And as much as you like to play your own talent down, there are people out there who are looking forward to getting their hands on that. Absolutely. Book. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in the the Shard D two I built, it's my section is based around building that and how I did each aspect. Hey, you know, it, it'd like be fun to compare that, like that to that Blitz Kit three uh, D printed Shard D two, and it's uh, louvered front hull. Oh god, that's awful! Have you seen that? Yeah, it's like the front of it looks like a flipping Mexican pyramid. It's just like. <laughs> Yeah, it's like fucking steps on it. I, I think the crew used to get in it by climbing the stairs on the. Are front. you are you talking about <laughs> are you talking about print lines or yeah. this is yeah. Like, yeah oh I wow. mean we're talking like two thousand and five print lines. Do you know? What yeah, I mean? it's, it's like it looks like it came off a spaghetti printer. It looks like it came, the back of it's brilliant. It looks like it came from Shapeways. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. A lot of it's brilliant, but obviously they didn't bother breaking it. When it wouldn't print in one print and come out well, instead of breaking it down into parts that would print well, they just thought, ah, fuck it, just print it anyway. Not good. Not good. That no. sounds like some of the stuff Matt's been dealing with. What was that stuff you had, Matt? Where was that from? FC Model Trend. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean... Yeah, you guys, we should actually, now that we've said it, we got to post a photo of it with with the show. The supports oh, yeah. in that thing, it's like, oh, auto supports, what's this? It's just, <laughs> let's put another wheel on the back of the wheel just to support it. <laughs> auto supports, set the heavy. Why not? <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. hey, bro, I heard you like supports. <laughs> well, I, I, I like that, like, they, they obviously design these to some extent, but then they, it's like they print out they're like, wait, these tires have no tread. Fuck it. It's fine. <laughs> we'll let the layer lines deal with that. <laughs> it's bad. It is super, super bad. That's well, the they're, they're getting that reputation, man. I mean, they're, they're, that's unfortunately, not good. yeah, yeah, because they that's... do some nice looking stuff, but when it prints out, it is not nice. I use their uh, their Panzer One tool sets uh, on my little mm. Panzer One. Surprisingly enough, um, and because they were the only game in town. Like either that or like go to photo etch, um, and they they were not very no instructions. So you'd better hope you know where they go and what the orientation is because mm. they're not telling you because they don't know. 
so the flip side of that is the uh the i don't know how you say it lang L yeah l i a n g yeah, uh, that, models uh the the vignette i've got uh one of the sets of their manhole covers and sewer grates i mean just utterly perfection i and, saw the pictures of small those detail yeah, really good beautiful yeah and huge shout out to them because i i got really excited about their stuff at nats because mike mcvaney hooked me up with one for rick waller's workshop when i was just screwing around i'm like i need one for sizing i'll, I'll get my own set well, i got back from nats all excited and they were sold out everywhere i couldn't find them anywhere and uh so i reached out to to the company and uh they it got me in touch with the guy who's here in the U.S., Adam. And uh, Adam's like, well, I got one demo copy. I'll send you. No problem. Just cover the shipping. And so he off he sent. And uh, I was able to continue on without losing the momentum, in which I was super excited about since momentum is a, uh, a huge issue, as we all know. Uh, so very, very good job for them. It's the number one enemy to finish is losing momentum, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it's super cool of him to do. And, but yeah, their, their products, they've got a bunch of different accessories and uh, I've just started using a couple of the other other ones, some bottles and stuff that are also printed miraculously. Talking of amazing printed stuff, uh, a shout out for a friend of the show, David Parker, AFE modeler, have released a load of really nice uh, printed master casting resin, I think, accessories for the new Daswork uh, SDK, I've said 251. So go along to AFEmodeler.com and have a look at those. They are, I mean, the detail on the ammunition cans and stuff. Well, the, the flexible ammunition belt. Yeah, yeah, and he's sculpted yeah. figures as well with magic sculpts and stuff, uh, the old school way, and some beautiful figures and all kinds of great stuff. So yeah, he is just—he just seems to be cranking out cool stuff like weekly. Mm. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Good good stuff for sure. You know, the whole thing with, with 3D printing, I mean, it's interesting to me to think about how the landscape has changed so rapidly because, you know, you've got – like those, what were they? FC, whatever. Uh, FC model trend. Yeah, model FC, trend model, yeah. FC model trend, and the and that just hot garbage that you could see from a mile away. And then you got guys like John Colasante, you know, printing this mm. beautiful, complete engine. And then guys like Jared Bradley with his bone fragment stuff that he's doing in a, in Australia for the 148s. He just has a love affair with the 148th B1B. And the delicacy of the details, I showed some of it on, on the last video I did on my channel. I, it's just incredible. And, and you know, these people who are supposedly producers have to be feeling some of this pressure. Because it's going to get to the point where, you know, I don't know if it's worth it for these guys to even do stuff. Because... You can go do your own, or you can get your buddy to do it, or whatever. It's it's definitely changing the I, landscape. I will say, I think there's a reckoning coming with the quality level. Yeah, uh, you know, because I've bought stuff from like ammo before that it's like, why did I buy this? This is not great. Uh, but I took a do chance. You know who um, prints ammo's three D resin? Probably FC model, model trend. Trend, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, but you know, like I bought a like I bought a Shrike missile from somebody like last year and it was terrible. To, I've, I've had as many horrible experiences as I, as I have good ones, but then like I'm gearing up to do a, uh, a build of the special hobby Piper L4 for the overlord group build thing for Matt's uh, next year. And I picked up the CMK continental engine and it's 3d printed and it is maybe not quite as good as, as what John did for the, uh, for the R1830 and 1820, but it's, it's still up there. It's, 
beautiful. And so, you know, as, as long as they've got the, the design and the printing quality up there, I think they're fine. It's, it's more, it's that there, there's going to be a, uh, you know, as word gets around about the manufacturers that don't give a shit, I think that's where it's going to start, uh, separating pretty quickly. Absolutely. I, th- I think it creates a lot of upward pressure that's going to benefit everybody. Um, it, you know, cause it's, it's just going to be that much harder to sell your stuff if you're not maintaining that level of quality and everybody benefits from that. I was just going to say what I also find interesting about the, the, the coming soon state is, you know, more and more people are 3d modeling and there's a lot of kids out there and I say kids, I mean, you know, 14 and up, right, uh, that are able to to model some good stuff and throw it up on CG Trader and sell it off if it's if it's good. Uh, and what's interesting to me as a details guy, you know, I mean, I love the manual covers. I'm talking about manual covers like they're, you know, <laughs> the, the best kit in the world. They're one of my favorite kits of late, to be honest. I love the little bits and pieces. And I also, you know, Matt and I were talking about this at lunch the other day about uh, leaf springs. And how I've spent more time in my life that I really wish I could get back cleaning up the seams off the middle of a leaf spring on all the trucks I've ever built. Right? I fucking hate it. Right? It's one of the least interesting, least productive, and I never get them quite sharp enough no matter how much work I put into them. But it's a leaf spring. It's not that hard yeah. to go model. Yep. Right? And now the stuff that becomes, you know, it's just not financially viable to produce in plastic or maybe even in this set, suddenly the STL of that becomes really easy and really cheap for somebody who's tapped into these sorts of things to, to start adding into that. And man, there's, there's opportunity abound for, for us and for producers. Yeah. And, I mean, and, small. and then you take something like a leaf spring and you just get that basic shape in there. And then all of a sudden you just save like the STL of the, you know, just the curved springs, shape them in different ways, put different shit on the end. All of a sudden you, you have leaf springs for like 30 different trucks yep. very easily. And yeah, I mean, to, to follow on from, you know, what Jake and I were talking about lunch, like th- this whole idea of, you know, like some of the thing about like some of the minifigure guys on Patreon and stuff where it's like 10 bucks a month and you get, you know, 15 to 20 brand new figures every month. And based on the, uh, the membership count, some of those people have, they're making like 20,000 to $30,000 a month on what? memberships. We're in the yeah. wrong business. Yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> just start cranking out. STLs of leaf springs and, you know, flat tires and crumpled, you know, crumpled buckets. beer cans and coolers and shit. And it's buckets. like, <laughs> yeah, buckets. Yeah. Uh, I follow one guy uh, on Patreon, uh, Tank Buster, who does nothing other than tracks. That's yeah. his whole thing. But yeah, you know, to, I don't know if you can see this in the camera, but this is one of the, uh, the armor from the Mandalorian. Uh, got that off one of the uh, Patreons I follow. I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, I can put it in the, in the notes for you guys. But I, uh, you know, the, the, the quality on it's fantastic, yeah. right? And again, to Matt's point, this guy's producing five, ten of these models every month for ten bucks. You know, it's it's and insane. he doesn't even have to print them. Yeah. Oh, post them. And I get Packaging really excited if they pre support them. They provide the unsupported and the pre supported. I'm like, Yes, I've really scored this month. <laughs> you know, then I go and I spend my money on my resin to print it on my printer that I have to keep up with, right? It's it's a genius business model. Uh, absolutely. I interviewed um, ResKit for the next Models from Ukraine podcast, which I haven't decided yet whether it's coming out before or after this episode. So go and have a look. <laughs> uh, but they said they've just massively expanded their 
3D printers and they um, improved them as well, bought new ones with, with higher quality. Did they tell you what they what they use? Because their stuff is really, really I good. I don't know. They might have done, but, you know, I, I'm more interested in their business than I am in their printers because, you know, I'm not <laughs> you. I'm not a nerd. Like that um, but, yeah, so go along over to that. But, I mean, they're someone who's doing it really, really well. The quality is yeah. fantastic. Their stuff's amazing. I think also, for this episode, I spoke to, I had a, a 10 minute chat with uh, Jeffrey from Hypersonic Models, Jeffrey Kubiak, um, which will be somewhere in this episode. And I think talking to him and talking to them, what made me think uh, about it was that there is a real challenge to aftermarket coming from the fact people can sit at home and design their own parts and print their own parts. Where aftermarket is going to be able to, the only way it's going to be able to separate itself as a business is in research. Because mm-hmm. these guys can put a lot of time into research and put out really accurate, really nicely designed parts. Mm-hmm. Whereas an individual might be, might spend a lot of time going off and researching one thing to produce it for a model and then have to do it again. So the only way, well, there's two ways actually. The only way they're going to be able to survive is by being really good at research and by making it more cost efficient for you to buy it than to spend your own time doing it. Because yeah, obviously right. the one thing all modelers are short of is time. More mm-hmm. than money even is time. So, um, but other than that, it, yeah, it's a real threat. Certainly, to traditional hand mastered resin stuff and things like that. I think these days are numbers. That's a really good point, though, because like for us, you know, making our own little widgets, we're based for the most part reduced to just trying to eyeball a photo and figure out how to get it close enough to make it work. Whereas, if you're an Edward or a res kit or whoever, you should have a budget to be able to physically go mm-hmm. get all the yep. pictures you need, maybe even scan whatever. It's a really good. It's a really good point. But I, I think there, to to play with that whole idea, there's also the scale of what the part is, or what the you know what the aftermarket kit would be. If we're talking a one thirty, you know, like a one thirty second AGM eighty eight harm missiles, like I can I can see the value of having that professionally printed by someone like Reskit who knows what the fuck they're doing. Whereas if we're talking about, you know, one seventy second scale P fifty one tires. Like the the cost of printing and shipping and storing all I mean it's you know those are like what five six bucks I think something like that like if you get the the ones that are out there right now like I think there's there's a there's a certain breakover point where it makes sense for you know and I'm just going to use Edward as an example they could do like a they've got their bunny fighter club thing they could do like a like a membership thing where it's like if you're a member you get access to STL files of yeah. our shit and you can print it. And it's, it's, you know, they maybe wouldn't do like the full F-14 cockpit or something like that, but it's like wildcat wheels, here you go. You know, gun barrels, here you go. Yep. And the stuff where it's like the opportunity cost is such that, you know, if you make it super convenient, people aren't going to bother designing their own gun barrels because they're like, oh, I can just go, hey, I got this. It's fine. And I could see, I don't think that that's really been explored too much yet, but uh, I, you know, I'd love to see someone try yeah, there's there's one site that I signed up for that has a subscription service like that. Uh, their models are okay, and I, again, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, so we can uh, I'll pass them along. You guys put in the notes, but um, but it is you know it's ten bucks a month or something, and they they have that gives you access to the whole library immediately, and then whatever else that they update. But they're not doing a real great job from what I've seen of updating enough to make it you know really exciting to spend the ten bucks a month like the Patreon that we were just talking about. Yeah. The one conflict that we still haven't solved, and I don't know that there's ever going to be a good solution for it, is what happens when an STL file is loose in the wild. You know, somebody like Edward spends a shit ton of time, yeah. 
you know, designing a, a bomb rack and now you've got the STL file, you're unethical, you pass it on to your buddy, or you just print a dozen of them at home. You know, they've got a, I'm sure that they've thought through the opportunity cost, like you said, of, of, of the lost revenue when that happens, because it's going to happen. And yeah, I mean, yeah I, if I, it's, this is my, this is my, one of my burrs, <laughs> it's not really lost revenue, right? Because there are times when somebody's gonna gonna skip spending the money to get the the knockoff, but most of the time it's one or the other, right? And I think who somebody was saying it earlier, like make it easy. I mean, this is the whole thing that what happened with with MP3s, right? Yeah. When it became easier for me to just buy the damn thing on on iTunes, it solved the problem. Yeah, I, that's you know, that's I, yeah. It, it never downloaded a file again. Because it was easier to spend a buck than it was to spend the time to try and go find the right one with the right quality. Uh, if there was a problem with the file, it got updated. You know, I'd get bonus stuff with it. You know, whatever it might be, uh, and it was easy to use on my device. And I think that's you know, there's a there's an opportunity in that. There's a lot of these sites like CG Trader and, and others that are trying to do something like that, but they just haven't done a good enough job of filtering uh, yet to make it. This is a good file for your functionality and those are often they're using the SDLs kind of as a backup instead of using the site's not really for what we're doing it's for people who are making 3d models with other 3d models uh, and then they may have an SDL version of it off to the side right uh, you know so there's still there's a, there's a marketplace opportunity more than anything yeah and, and it's it's not easy to figure because there's a lot of guys who never would have bought the product in the first place the only reason that they're going to use it is because their buddy gave them an STL file or printed an extra one and gave it to them. And so that's not really a direct opportunity cost. And who knows, maybe that somehow contributes to, I don't know, some kind of baseline growth. I, I don't know. It's pretty nebulous. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Let me ask you all this, what you think. Um, if I release a book in print and I release it as an ebook, which one do you think sells more copies? Print. I would say print. Print by a huge margin. Yeah. Very, very few e-copies sell. Uh, and I honestly think the reason for that is people share it. Once it's out there, they share it. They don't buy it. I don't know. Do you think it's so, do you I'll... think it's that or or do you think that because like you had a guy asking about it uh, mm. on on the mm. page and he was just like, Look, I just really prefer to have a book in my hands, basically. That's how I, I interpreted his comments. Well, talking to other publishers, the, the um, print sales are dropping dramatically for everything. So the people that there are people out there who prefer books. I, you can see books behind me. I love books just as objects. Quite often, I'll buy a book that I fantasize about owning, look at it once, put it away, and never look at it. Again. <laughs> so I'm not the <laughs> only just one love having it. <laughs> it's there. I love it. Um, it might be useful one day, maybe. Uh, but you know, we're a dying breed. There are very few people who are like that. Most people prefer. Uh, and most people aren't bothered. They'll go with whichever's the cheapest version, and free is the cheapest. Yeah, and I think well, I think with modeling, it's there's some there's some alternative views. Let's say uh, I think in one. Yeah, so like I said, I prefer print. I, I prefer using them. I like folding them out when I'm on my workbench doing all that stuff. I just got so many goddamn books. I can't tolerate having any more on the shelf. Right? I can't fit them anymore. So I've been trying to get rid of them. And most of what I've been trying to do, I've been trying to do as digital, but mm -hmm. buying a PDF, it's a huge pain in the ass because I can't manage it very well. Buy it and 
books through AK. I spend a ton of money through AK's iPad app, as terrible as it is, mm. because it's easy. Click the button, buy it. Click the button, open it. That's it. They're all in one place, right? And I have a bunch of, of AK books. Some of them I've gone through five or six times. Some of them I've kind of sort of flipped through, but that's eh, fine, whatever. And I think it's, again, it goes back to it's a marketplace issue, uh, combined with the fact that there are times I like reading comics better in physical form. I like it better. It's a more pleasurable experience. However, I only buy them digitally because I can't store them, right? I don't want to store them. And a, a Comixology made that, that marketplace issue non-existent it's just click a button click a button you're you're buying and reading all right well not that anything that i've been up to has been that interesting but uh, okay, right, then let's yeah move on. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like me what about me what yeah no really well, you already chose yeah, you yeah the i yeah i am waiting for us to ask nope, him the and it's, nope and it's all good because i really would rather hear what you guys are doing because my life has changed dramatically in a bunch of ways over the last couple of months. And when I kind of got done with the uh, Pizzle and took it to Austin, that was kind of like a breaking point for me. And I, I, I had, you know, stuff to work on, but I just, I just didn't. And I only kind of got back to doing some bench work in the last couple of weeks. And so I've been uh, going in fits and starts at painting my little 148th Sherman. And uh, it's been good. It's been fun. I kind of feel like I had sort of lost touch. I, I'm not going to say I'd lost my mojo. There's more to that. But I just uh, have been trying to work my way back into it and spend regular time uh, like I was. My, my uh, you know, it hasn't been continuous. But, yeah, it's been fun uh, getting just getting back into the painting part because that's my favorite thing. And that little Sherman's been sitting there for a long time just begging for it. So, that's been good, but honestly, the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last two months is I bought a fucking car over the internet, and that was just weird. Like I bought a <laughs> I bought a whole ass automobile without ever seeing it in person <laughs> or test driving it, and it's gonna arrive on a truck this week, and I that's just strange. But that's modern life, right? We're yeah. doing things differently these days. Um, gotta gotta can't drive the tractor into town. <laughs> that's well, I could, I could. Yeah. It would just take a while. He needs a tractor to get the car from his house to the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the sometimes giant potholes he has. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, on a really muddy day. Sometimes, yeah, but well, it is. It's been. He does drive the tractor to the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. I would too. There's, yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's days when if I've got that much energy and I'm feeling that good, I'm like, ooh, go to the workbench or do some tractoring. And honestly, it's not even a hard choice for me. Uh, you know, I bought the damn thing and I'm like, I'm not even having to make up stuff to do with it. I have plenty of chores to do around the farm. And it's just something that I have not been able to enjoy for most of the last decade, you know, as I recover from this stupid spinal cord injury. And I kind of feel like I can, you know, I can sit at my workbench anytime I want to, you know, I can do that at, at, in the middle of the night. And I could tractor in the middle of the night. It's got amazing lights, and it looks super cool at Who's night. Who's going to stop you? Lit up. <laughs> right, exactly. I can do whatever I want. In the nude. Yeah, exactly. I could. New tractoring. I could do. I could do naked. I could do naked tractoring to go along with uh, Matt's naked builds. So, 
Yeah, it's it's been a little bit of a, of a disconnect from model making, and I've been struggling with that a little bit because I love it, and I and it bothers me that I've felt disconnected from it. But I kind of feel like you know life life has its ebbs and flows, and there was a time, you know, six eight years ago when I was averaging you know maybe four hours a day at the workbench, and so it feels strange to get four hours a week, but. I have mixed emotions about it because I'm doing other stuff that I think is important and that, you know, over the course of my spinal cord injury journey, I haven't been able to do or haven't, you know, so it's complicated. But we're going to talk more about that side of things after we read some letters, because don't we have a few, Chris? Uh, not a huge amount this week. Um, we've continued to get some great feedback from Sophie's episode, which is great that people have taken it so well. Uh, probably the main thing to note about that is we have had zero negative feedback whatsoever. And I was worried we'd get the old person saying that we were, wor- oh, I say worried. I expected the old person to say, <laughs> yeah, kind of disappointing actually. <laughs> also, we've had zero um, blowback on the IPMS episode, which I think only proves that none of them listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much Well, true. there's been, there's been a little passive aggressive sniping around. If you, you know, get around to some of these other, some of these pages and there's been some, some, you know, butthurt registered, but not, you know. I mean, that's been directed at all the podcast influencers. Yes, the Mutual Admiration Society, the secret (laughs) cabal that we're all If only they knew that really we can't stand each other. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm happy to say the other podcasters, if they listen to this, will be saying, I should be joking. Yeah, because that, Um, that is the one thing that's really happened that I think has been really cool is... We all hang out in this podcasters uh, group chat, and it's been fun to see everybody kind of bro down. And I don't think that was an intended consequence of some of those, you know, storming out letters and uh, all of that nonsense. But it's been really. Fun. I actually think it's brought us together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. We always got on okay, but there's always also a sort of healthy competitiveness. Yeah, and and look, we are we are all I think um, you know relatively strong personalities. We all have we all have some ego involved. We all think we have something to say, and those you know those things are not always going to line up. I mean, we have differences of opinion, differences of style. Uh, but we all share in common that we love scale model making. We kind of, you know, we love the community and we're trying to add something to it. And whatever disconnects we had as podcasters. They've gone now. <laughs> they, yeah, we're like, you know, it, 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 and that's been that's been fun to watch. It's been good to see. It's been some nice irony too. You can't mm-hmm. be a bit of irony. Yeah. Um, we did have a we've had an email though about that episode on the on the other side on the supporting us. Uh, hi guys, oh, sorry, this is from um, where is his name? This is from David Hogue. Hi guys, after hearing your take on the Nats, I have to add my own two cents. I entered the model that became somewhat infamous for having a flashlight dropped on it. I was in the room as a judge and was somewhat taken aback when it was announced at the judges' meeting that picking up the models was still allowed. As I was judging, I looked down the table and saw my aircraft carrier ship model being tipped on its side as a judge ran a flashlight along the length of the flight deck a few inches above the deck. I presume he means along sort of the um, the underside of it. It was all I could do not to walk over and tell him to please be careful, goddammit. 
The model has eight tall, delicate radio masts sticking out the sides of the ship that I worried every time I entered a ship in a contest, and sure enough, one ended up on the table next to the ship with a sticky note. The model survived several Texas shows intact, but not the Nats. The model that had the flashlight damage was my AMT Douglas Boston. Luckily, somehow, the prop was sheared away from the engine cleanly without any further damage to the plane, which was kind of amazing when you think about it. It was lucky, actually, if it hit the nacelle, it might have been different. Uh, it was a difficult kit that I had a lot of extra detail work put into. The Boston also brings up the judging issue of being at a disadvantage when competing against kits like Tamiya Lightnings, two of which placed, but that's another story. I've been a judge for many years and have worked to bring a more holistic approach to judging and hope to see constructive changes to the IPMS system. I dodged a bullet because the damage to both models were easy fixes, but I'm always annoyed to have to take time for repairs. I had a great time in San Marcos, made better by bringing home some mini belt buckle awards and congratulations to the Texas volunteers that put on the show. Uh, I was, firstly, I should say, are you all going to get mini belts to go with your mini belt? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't ever wear a belt, so that's not happening. Oh. They don't make no mini nothing in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting because a lot of the, the, the post-Nats um, discussion was that it was sore losers griping about these things. Mm-hmm. He was there. He gave his time to judge. He knows how to judge. He knows how to handle models. And he saw things he didn't like. Uh, and, you know, sorry, NCC, but the judges don't agree with you. Well, it's the equivalent of something I saw on, on some other model makers page because he was registering butthurt about having said something, whatever it was. He had made a post and there was some discussion because, look, that's what happens on the old Soch. And then he later posted some butthurt about, well, I apparently I don't know anything, even though I've been modeling for 20 years and I work for a magazine and, you know, my paintbrush is bigger than your paintbrush, you know, the, just the usual. <laughs> and and there was this chorus of, of you know, uh, oh, you know, don't 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 listen to those people. They're just mean and jealous. It's the same thing. The sour grapes thing is the exactly the same thing. So, yeah, whatever. But I I thought it was interesting. I had a private message from uh, <laughs> our buddy Nobby Roffs. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I should tell you, I'm in the admin chat with him now on Edward, and he's changed his name in the chat to Nobby. <laughs> <laughs> he, he took some stuff to a, a show and sent me some pictures and kind of had some things to say. And, you know, it's clear that things like this weathering bias that doesn't exist is, is going to be hard for them to chase out. And then we had some commentary um, elsewhere about a show that just happened where some, uh, at least one NCC member showed up and, you know, was picking up the models, doing the whole, you know, belly inspection and somebody challenged him and the comment was, well, it's okay. I'm a head judge. I can do it. Yeah, you know. So, you know, they're going to have a hard time chasing some of that stuff out, but there there are still head judges left. Yeah, yeah. They didn't all <laughs> they didn't all throw their toys out of the pram and and, and <laughs> go storming off in a cloud of butt hurt. Um, Somebody's got to be left to change the judges' rulings. <laughs> yeah yeah that one is uh that's gonna that that one has yet to come out i i still say um as i did on the last episode that when that one 
bubbles up to the surface, it's going to make Bellygate look like child's play. Um, That's that's a whole level of seriousness. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they take this as the opportunity that it is to exercise public leadership and do a lot of good to repair their image or if they're going to if it's going to circle be the, the wagons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious about that too. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So there, there will be some amazing memes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am hopeful because speaking to a couple of people involved in, in the IPMS USA, a relatively sort of, um, I suppose, decision level, they got a really good attitude about this and it's a, they're seeing it as a real opportunity. Yeah. So fingers yeah. crossed. The, yeah. yeah. The right people. That's the same reading yeah. I'm getting. Yeah, the right people are definitely, I think, but you know, it's it's it, we'll see. It's it's uh, it, it's it's a fifty fifty thing at this point. So anyway, yeah. What else we got in the letter bag? We had a nice, uh, interesting email from our friend Bruce Worrell. Uh, really good guy. He Bruce. is such we a good guy. Yeah. On the on the socials, you should look him up. Really great guy. Um, he wrote in about the SMC special that we put out. Uh, he's partway through listening to it. Great so far. Very useful to get a peek inside how SMC runs their show. Uh, he was asking, uh, I've been reviewing their judging rules and I'm unclear of what presentation refers to in the judging criteria for many categories. Uh, kind of understanding it for figures, but where it could apply to the base and or groundwork, but I'm confused what it might mean for ordnance categories where a plane or tank might not be on a base. Now, he was asking um, for us just to have a conversation, but I, I thought it was worth reading it out because... This is something maybe that will uh, be of interest to people. Presentation is something that um, we've talked about a lot and other podcasts have picked up as well that is really common in Europe. It's highly unusual for you to put an aircraft uh, model on on the table at a contest and not have some sort of base underneath it, even though it's just a wooden square or something. Um, and presentation is scored at SMC, but there's the risk when you say that that people think that it's presentation over substance. It's not actually true. Presentation is a few marks. It's like the cherry on the cake. You're not going to get a gold for presenting something well, and it's not going to cost you a gold, but it will be a little bit of something towards what you get. Maybe if you're a bronze, but you're nearly a silver, it might tip you over into silver just. But what we look at when we look at models is we look at uh, at shows like SMC and, and open system shows. We look at everything. and the But the way we look at it is not in triage. We don't um, look at the build and then the paint and then the weathering and we don't look in the kind of granular detail that you would probably look at for build so um, when I'm looking at how well built a model is I'm looking at the overall quality of the build and anyone in this chat and anyone that's that's um, on the podcast right now and anyone out there who's built more than a few models can tell a well built model from a shit build model you, you know, any immediate glaring errors that jump out, it's not going to get, it's probably not going to get placed. But we're not going to measure the wheels to make sure they're aligned. If they look aligned, when and when I'm looking at the model and the, everything looks level and nothing looks wonky, that's quality, you know, and I can't see a massive seam, then to me it's, it's okay for build. And, and I'll look at the paint and the weathering in the same way. And it's the overall impression of it that I'm looking at. And you should, a skilled judge should be able to tell the quality of a model without getting a flashlight out frankly and a, and a dental mirror did you see i think uh spud uh murphy uh he posted a thing about uh being on a judging crew with 
with John Bonani, mm. which of course uh, produced a lot of hilarious comments about making sure not to leave him unattended. Um, <laughs> but I should say he's on the he's on there with with um, Spud and with Sven Frisch, and that's a really that's a really good judge. Yeah, and, and in the know a lot about armor models. And in the comments, somebody posted another sort of little list like of some of the aircraft judges and you got guys on there like Ben Schumacher and, um, and Fanch and Renee Vanderhart. And, you know, I just keep going back to this argument that some of these guys from the IPMS make where they say, well, who decides what's a good model? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? It's like, do you do you people who build really good models? Yeah, it's like, do you actually believe that there's no such thing as a really good model? Because that's the I, I just like that's the one that just baffles me. And you know, or they say, well, who decides who gets to be a judge? Who decides who's going to be an all, uh, uh, on the all star judging team? And it's like, seriously, how do you not understand that there are actually people out there like Fanch? like Ben Schumacher, like Renee Vanderhart, who are actually really, really, really fucking good at this. And if they look at your work and they say it's good, you can take that to the bank. And if they look at your work and they say, man, not quite there yet, then you know you've got some work to do. Because these are guys who operate at the absolute highest level of the game. There's just no arguing that. And it just strikes me as some kind of delusion honestly when 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 these people on the other side of that argument try and make that case i don't know the interesting thing is they say that they have trouble getting enough judges i mean that's partly as a function of the fact that they use a system which requires too many fucking judges yeah um because it's so byzantine and weird um which is not a particularly like fair criticism it's weird <laughs> um, but also the the quality of the contest attracts high quality judges yeah. they want to you know if, if you ask someone to judge at some a show like that there are you know i was asked to judge i went really me i was too and i was like are you kidding do you, you know, know who do you know who i am i mean what yeah you know. That's not right. What they're not doing is going out to restaurants around the show and saying, who can judge quick? Exactly. We need someone to do this. Exactly. And, and people ask, well, how is it possible to judge 3,000 models in five hours effectively? You can't possibly do that. We need 300 judges at the IPMS. It, it, it's like, well, maybe they actually are just that good at it, right? Also, though, if you look at the past contests, which are all available, the results on the IPMS website, <clears throat> when you have a ton of splits with three models in them, of course it takes a long fucking time. <laughs> well, when you're spending, and I've experienced this, Matt, you've experienced it as well. Uh, when you're spending 10 minutes eyeballing whether or not the wheels are straight between two different entries, of course it's going to take forever. Yeah. But if you don't care, and, and, okay, and I'm not trying to say that that's not important, that that's literally like you literally don't care about construction, but when that's not the thing that determines who places where, mm -hmm. you don't have to spend that 10 minutes. Newsflash, why is this so hard to understand? Well, that, there's that there's that like absolute thing to the IPMS stuff where any sort of like, just to stick with the wheel alignment, any sort of alignment issue is just as bad as any other wheel alignment yeah. issue. Yeah. And so one millimeter if a is wheel as bad 10 as degrees five millimeters. Out, yeah. 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 <laughs> a right angle is as bad as yeah, <laughs> one degree off. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's one of those where from my understanding of like, you know, the SMC stuff, or just, you know, 
that sort of like looking at it in totality and awarding points, or even I think IPMS UK does this, where it's like there's a build, you know, if a wheel's like a degree off versus 10 degrees off, that's like a point difference. And so there's that nuance. And so it's that, that way you're not, you know, saying they're fighting to like keep something in contention or not in contention because it's a half of degree out. And yeah, I could see that eating up all kinds of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, talking talking about this system, it's it's the strategic intent concept, right? What is the goal of the judging in the first place? And you know, chefs always talk about judging what's on the plate. And you know, something might be a little bit salty, but it looks so beautiful that it tricks your mind into thinking it's perfect, right? It may look a little funky, but it tastes amazing, and you set it aside. So when I when I've done the judging in the IPMS shows, and it's this triage system of you know, are the wheels straight or not? it misses the entire the entirety of the point for me as an artist which is what's on the plate right yeah. and you know the fact that we can't judge the the presentation at all it's just the, the model it's not the base it's sitting on it just feels so wonky to me because it feels like the strategic intent there is just judge the construction this is a construction contest and i didn't go i went for an art contest right i didn't go for a construction contest and in smc the way you've described it is feels like an art art uh, experience the thing that gets lost a bit in translation is, is construction is really important. It is something they look for. You know, you're not going to get a medal, a medal with a badly constructed model. Sure. But it's kind of considered the minimum requirement. Yeah. The construction. And that's the straw man mm-hmm. that these guys always throw out. Oh, well, you just don't care about construction. You They act like you can do an amazing job of painting and your wheels can, in fact, be at 90 degrees to the direction of travel and you're still going to get a gold which is just it's just i mean the cognitive dissonance is unbelievable and like if intentional we were, yeah it's if we were intentional yeah. regurgitation yeah. i mean i've trapped one of them repeating it even after he's been told it's not yeah. the case because he liked trolling us like i wonder though if it really is intentional or if they're just really that thick I don't. I mean, who knows? But the idea- I think I think it's like a it's like a mental rut kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you see it with you know politics and things like that too. Like somebody will yeah. know they're wrong, you will tell them, you will show them evidence, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And then like a week later, the same shit comes out. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like someone calling everything socialism because they don't like it. It's the same <laughs> participation trophies, yeah. you know, or woke. <laughs> it's, well, it's just a catchphrase, isn't it? To, yeah. to, register your opposition to something. Ah, the socialist model. I think it's also challenge. about simplicity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I've got the title for this week's show, Socialist Nighttime Naked Tractory. <laughs> that just makes sense. That covers it. Well, I think it's also about simplicity too, right? It's really easy to understand uh, construction. Yeah. Is it good or bad? Construction, that's it. That's our number one. If it, if it doesn't work, then it gets booted out. And then we've got a simpler footprint. And when you're again, it's efficiency, right? When your model is about efficiency, you gotta you gotta sort of think that simplistically, and be prepared to drink because maybe double this time. But you know, when I was in design school, a big part <laughs> of the, the the work that the instructors would teach us about was the emotional response, right? If you're if you're creating things, it's intended to be emotionally responsive, not just technically savvy. Right, you can't get emotionally responsive if you don't have the technical savvy, but you can't get it past just basic, basic fundamentals and into emotion if you don't keep going beyond that, right? And if you stop at the technical savvy for efficiency's sake or for simplicity or because that's all I can get to, I mean, I'm still working on my storytelling. It's not great, but I'm trying. But it's hard, 
right? I can get all the great construction out of the way and do that perfection, but I can't tell a good story just because the construction's good. And again, it's what what's that, but that's complex. It's much, you know, it's a complex discussion. It's a complex judging mm-hmm. criteria. Yep. It's complex. Yeah. And this goes back to the point that I made on the last one, that if you're going to have a judging crew of 300 volunteers whose capabilities are unknown and unvetted and uncertified in any way, then it makes rational sense that you reduce the judging down to the lowest common denominator. And mm-hmm. anybody Literally, anybody can look at something and tell if a wheel is crooked, right? I mean, you could literally set up a conveyor system with machine vision systems and do the same job that IPMS judges are currently doing. In fact, you could do it better because you could tell the difference between one millimeter and five millimeters or, you know, five degrees and three degrees. And they don't want to admit that. And I honestly feel like if they would just own that, maybe they'd be better off. But until I feel like until they change that whole paradigm, that whole point of view, that whole way of looking at the world and and selecting the judges, that they don't stand a chance of doing anything else beyond that. And that's the that's to me, that's their that's their big challenge. But look, I don't want to spend the rest of our time talking about that horse shit. This is why we love Hancock, because he's just always got it. He's so just goddamn right random. <laughs> it's a talent. I mean, it, I, and I frankly am Or a tick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acca paints are designed specifically for use on plastics, with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. Hey modelers, if you want to take your models to the next level of detail and refinement, you should be using Tetra Model Works PE and detailing sets. Whether you are building a 135th T72 or a 1700 aircraft carrier, whether it's a 172nd Hemp or a 148th M10, whether it's a camo net or a USAF aircraft seatbelt, Tetra has the set you need to lift your masterpiece to the next level of fidelity. Check out tetramodel.com now to find out how you can get hold of their superb products. Hi guys, Chris here with a producer's note before we continue with the show. The following segment gets into some pretty serious stuff as the five of us discuss mental health and suicide. If you are struggling at the moment, you can reach out for help. In the UK, there is a list of regional mental health crisis numbers at nhs.uk. Or you can call the Samaritans 24 hours a day on 116123. You can text the word SHOUT to the SHOUT crisis line on 85258 or if you're under 19, 
text YM to the same number. Alternatively, you can call Childline on 0800 1111. The call will not appear on your bill. In the US, you can call 988 for the Mental Health Emergency Hotline or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis centre. Alternatively, text REASON to 741741 at the crisis text line. You can call Samaritans Australia on 135247 or Samaritans Canada on 116123. For international suicide prevention services, you can look up the International Suicide Prevention Directory at findahelpline.com. Now back to the show. Well, look, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of good stuff, but I got to say that one of the reasons that inspired my thinking about what to do for this 50th episode, I got to throw some shouts out to one of our podcast uh, compadres over at uh, Plastic Model Mojo, because uh, I don't know. It's been several months, but I was listening to David Knight's Esquire discuss uh, one of his challenges. Um, he has a, uh, it's called a, I think this is right, a fundamental, essential, essential trimmer. I was going to say fundamental, mm-hmm. essential trimmer. So his hands shake and, you know, that's terrifying for anybody who's trying to do precision work and, the fact that he does such amazing work in spite of that physical challenge is really admirable. But especially given that he works in one seventy second for fuck's sake. I mean, come on. That's just Yeah, well that bit's self inflicted. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. But he he talked about the fact that he had been trying some new medication and that it had really made a big difference. And he's even talked openly about the fact that one of the reasons why the whole modeling fluid thing originated on their podcast is because that for him, a little bit of alcohol calms down that tremor. And I I just have found it really admirable that he's been very open about that challenge and the way that he's, you know, worked around it and, and found solutions for it. And you know, we've each of the podcasts has sort of dabbled in talking about mental health and these things. And I don't know, just in the interest of us and the way we like keep it real, I just felt like, you know what? Let's talk about some real shit. Let's talk about how we're all doing as it relates to our pursuit of this ridiculous hobby and how it affects our work and our attitude about it. And, you know, then Matt, when you talked on your blog about the fact that you had been, you know, working through some depression issues, right? It's okay for me to say that. You've said it publicly. And, and, you know, in my own hesitance to even say it out loud, I want to address one of the fundamental problems is that as dudes, we're all just petrified of talking openly about our bullshit. And that in and of itself is a fundamental problem. And so, again, in the interest of just keeping it real and doing some larger good, I thought, you know what? Let's talk about some of it. Let's keep it real. Let's talk about it. And so, I don't know. Um, You know, I've been going through some stuff of my own, and I don't want to monopolize it. 
Um, so let's just start with that, Matt. Talk about talk about some of the things that you've kind of worked through over the last year because you've had some major changes, dude. I mean, nobody even knew you were a smoker until you said, "Guess what? I quit smoking." <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so yeah, quit smoking about a little over a year ago. So like a year ago, June. Um, <clears throat> that came about because early 2022. I started having just like weird ass pains and I thought it was, you know, at some point I had a herniated disc and I thought that had come back with a vengeance and <clears throat> spent about six months trying to run shit down. Right. Went to various specialists, had like nerve testing done, all kinds of just, uh, dealing with, you know, dealing with the, uh, the healthcare community in the United States is a, is a joy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know, after a while I was like, just kind of ready to give up. Um, had to go to an endocrinologist for, like when I'd had a, was it a ultrasound, I think, or an MR, something done. And they were like, oh, you know, this lymph node thing looks interesting. Go have an endocrinologist check it out. So I went there for that. Can I just fine. can I just ask a quick question real quick? Yeah. Did you have to get a referral just to go see the endocrinologist? Yep. Yeah. And that's just one of those things that is so ridiculous about our, about yeah. our healthcare system. You can't just f- decide, oh shit, I feel like my hormones are out of whack. I want to go yeah. see an endo and see. You have to go yeah. through the whole process of seeing your fucking GP. Is it that way in the yep. UK, Chris? Yeah. Same. But of course, we don't pay for any of it. Yeah, but you still have to. Well, you, we do, or, but it's about fifteen pounds a month in. Um, or you can get a relatively yeah. quick appointment with your GP. Like I've got. Actually, oh, with the GP, yeah, with the specialist, no. It yeah. Does take so a I've, I've but got you, on my you, arm probably what is uh, a little bit of skin cancer, and I can't go to a, a dermatologist without a GP referral. Yeah, and my, same, I've and, been through the same thing. In order to get a GP appointment, they're, they're booking nine months in advance. Oh, wow. oh, it's. <laughs> I thought it was long here because it's two weeks. No. no, like I tried. Well, in fact, if you phone up on the day, you can quite often they they keep half the appointments for what they call emergencies. But what it is is phone up on the day, and the other half are pre-booked. Yeah. The idea is if it's non-urgent, you get the pre-booked. Well, and if it's urgent, you can phone up on the day. And if you go in and you see them that day, and they think it's cancer, you have an appointment with an oncologist in two weeks at the most. Yeah. Well, at least you guys all live in towns that are big enough to where you've got those resources. Yeah. My little yeah. my little 40,000 person, you know, one horse, one bar, no strip clubs town. I mean, we don't even have a fucking... That's the yeah. real issue. Right. Yeah. Let's no talk about clubs. the real shit. <laughs> <laughs> we, we... Hey, well, mental health, strip clubs. We don't You'll even... never believe how my endocrinologist had their office. <laughs> You'll never believe how many... You've never been to the pole in the <laughs> office. <laughs> never believe how many tractors were parked outside. <laughs> I, I live in naked a, I live in a town. I live in a town where people literally drive around in in side by sides, like you know UTVs, yeah, Polaris, Can Am, yeah, just driving around town, no big deal. But we don't. We have that, and we're just got a Popeyes, which is everybody's rejoicing, even though they're out of everything already. But we don't have a fucking dermatologist. Like if I, assuming I can get into the GP to get a referral. I got to drive a hundred miles just to see a dermatologist in Texas and getting an appointment for that. Holy shit. And you know, it's like you get in there they're like, Oh yeah, this looks precancerous. It's, it's terrifying. And to have to wait that long. Anyway, sorry, man, I didn't want to derail you, but I thought that was an important point. No, totally. 
Yeah, so I'll try to go through this quickly because it's like a whole, you know, year and a fucking half worth of history now. Um, so went to the endocrinologist, and this is, again, after like five months of trying to figure out what the hell's going on, right? And she says, have you had any blood work done? No. Of all the specialists I've been to, of all that shit, no blood work. Ridiculous. Nobody was ever like, we should do some blood work. And, uh, and so got blood work. And it turned out that I had type 2 diabetes, which I had no idea of. And I had what? honestly probably had it for several years. And yeah, so, uh, you know, start like found a good GP near me, um, you know, started working on that stuff, quit smoking like immediately because I know that smoking is bad for you. I had no idea that it did so much shit with blood sugar. None. That was never, you know, that's never it's covered. to me, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's never covered in the Surgeon General's warnings or anything. You know, it's always like cancer, 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 cancer. You know, there's never like blood sugar, blood pressure, all that stuff. Um, so quit smoking, changed my diet, started exercising a lot more. I'm now doing like five to six days a week of stuff, gym, mountain biking, hiking, etc. cetera. Um, within three months, I had my blood sugar back into like safe levels. So I'm technically like in remission or whatever the hell they call it. Nice. Um, but no longer pre-diabetic or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've been, you know, I've been trying to ta- like, I've been tackling blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of on like a health kick. And then, um, early this year, despite all those changes and feeling great at the end of last year and everything, like, you know, on top of the world around February or so, it's like shit just bogged down. It's, I mean, it's all, it's, Literally, like, you know, if you've ever been driving, like, off-roading, driving in mud or something like that, and it's just, like, you hit a patch, and it's just, like, just shit just sinks in. And it was, like, you know, it became a struggle to get, like, three things done in a day. You know, it's, like, I dropped one of the kids off at school. I'm exhausted. You know, don't want to do anything else today. Um, And you were were commenting a lot, because I do. I read all your stuff, man. You were commenting a lot about how you felt like you were losing your mojo. You weren't really yeah. happy with anything you were doing at the workbench. You were yeah. switching from project to project. Yep. Well, it also, it also, you know, it's showing up at work. I was like, I'm burned out. And it's just, you know, it's not like the particular job I have. My job's great. It's, I don't want to work anymore. And, you know, and there was this whole like relentless quality to everything. Like every time I turn around, there's some other bullshit I have to deal with. And uh, my wife was actually the one who was, you know, cause like we've been, you know, I've been talking with a therapist about burnout and shit like that for a while. And my wife was like, are you sure it's not depression? And cause she knows a shitload more about mental health than I do. Um, and so I talked to the therapist about it and she was like, well, yeah, that could be, you know, it's hard to tell the difference. Sometimes the main difference is like medication helps depression. It doesn't help burnout. And so I went to the doctor and started up on some, uh, SSRIs and yeah, I mean, you know, several months in, they're definitely making a difference. Um, I've spent all this time trying to come up with like different analogies for shit. And I think I finally found a good one. And it's, uh, it's like being able to zoom out. It's almost like if you're playing a, you know, a video game, there's like the first person mode where like you just see the view over the gun and whatnot. And you can hit a button and like pop out behind yourself and like see what's going on. It feels like that where I can almost hit these points where I fall into this rut of like shit's going sideways or, you know, like, you know, weird stuff happens at work and I can like self-talk myself into this whole path of like, here's how the world is going to end because I didn't get this one project done on time. <laughs> like this is where World War III starts right here. And recently I've gotten to the point where I can look at what's going on and be like, I could do that. I know that my, my brain has that, has that like 
memory stuff hardwired into it to do that. Or I can just go, that's bullshit. And I can just look over this way and go that way instead. And that level of awareness and control was not there months ago. And it's really been helping uh, quite a bit in terms of like work and life and like, you know, weekends have weekends have uh have been a lot better in terms of like family stuff where there's not this like oh fuck the kids are annoying the shit out of me i've got to you know what errand can i run to get out of the house for a bit and just have some peace and quiet i'm not feeling that as much um so all those things are working out really well i think there's also though coming out the far side of you know having smoked for decades and having i think just like a general addictive personality in certain other ways like collecting shit you know um, I think modeling has also been somewhat a, an addictive behavior. And since I'm breaking all these other addictions, I am having this whole thing of like getting out to the bench has been a bit of a struggle lately where it's like, you know, it used to be like, I have to go out every night for at least an hour to do something. You know, it's, it's, it has to happen or I lose my shit and I'm all grumpy the next day. And I've had several times, especially after, you know, hitting, getting hit by COVID in mid July where it's like, I'm fucking tired. I want to go to sleep. And so I will sleep and I will miss, you know, like last week, like I didn't go out to the garage at all last weekend. Just, nope, it's too hot. It's going to be cooling down in a week. Fuck it. I'm tired. I'm going to get some sleep. And I don't grump, you know, I don't grump about it the next day. It's all, it's all good. The problem though, is kind of like what Will's been dealing with, with, you know, four hours a day to like four hours a week. It kind of feels like that. And then every time I get out there, I'm like, what the fuck was I doing again? Like I need to, you know where was I on this project? Like I haven't touched the wildcat in six days. What was I doing? What do I need to do? And there's that like lag time to catch up, but I'm hoping that as the weather cools down and you know, the kids are back in school now. So like we've got some routines kind of happening uh, that that'll sort of all start to balance out, but that's kind of what's been going on in a, in a very, very tiny nutshell. So your kind of answer to, because, you know, you see guys ask this a lot. Oh, I've lost my mojo. What do you guys do to keep it up? What do you, and I know that you have some thoughts specifically about mojo, but aside from that, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think part of my point with wanting to do this is that the answer to that is not always simple. And maybe it is though. Maybe it's chemical. Maybe there's something else mm-hmm. going on. And especially if you've had major changes in your life that it's worth looking into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you never know. Like one of the, one of the things that I was going on about in that blog post was, you know, for the past five, six years, I've, I've been chasing this, like, I just finished this big project. I need to do something quick. I need to do something where I can like put a win on the board. Like, a, you know, I, I hate to, uh, I hate to use some of the, the various phrases that get used, but like, it, you know, the, the mojo restoration build or, you know, the slammer build type type of concept. And every single time I do that, I bog down. And then I'm like, fuck, this isn't what I want to be doing. And I'm starting to think maybe I should have gone the other way and gone into bigger, more ambitious, longer term things and just accepted that's what they are. Instead of trying to do this like, oh, I'm just going to speed run through this and move to the next thing. You know, that 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 dopamine hit isn't isn't working. So I need to, you know, have I been going about it the wrong way and going the wrong direction the whole time? I don't know yet, but that's kind of what I'm starting to investigate. There's two different things I'm hearing here, which are which are really um, familiar, and uh, one of them is the decide not being able to get into it and losing the mojo. That's a key symptom of depression. 
losing interest in your your interests and hobbies and stuff yeah. like that. The other thing is, I think quite often we treat modeling like we have some sort of responsibility to it. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. It's there to entertain us. Yeah. So if someone's losing mojo, my advice is always, well, fuck it off. Do something else. Pack everything away. Go do, just forget modeling for a couple of weeks. Because if you really want to do it, you'll have such a pull to come back and do it. You'll really, yeah. that you'll have the enthusiasm again. It's not like you owe it anything. And also, it's not like there's a shelf life on, well, there kind of is on models, but in terms of quality, they're not going to melt if you don't touch them for, for two months. So, well, here <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll put them in the freezer and then leave them. <laughs> well, also the other the other thing is you're restructuring your habits. Like you've you yeah, absolutely yeah. Uh, turned your habitual world on its head, and part of the part of those habits, good and bad, was going to the bench and spending time at the bench. And if you're anything like me, going to the bench there there's a part of that. Uh, that is tied to smoking. Like, like for yep. me, you know, I, I get to a certain point and then I'll step away from the bench, have a cigarette, think about what my next, uh, next steps are going to be. So you're it's a rhythm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's habit. Let's, let's not, let's not fancy yep. it up by calling it rhythm. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> habit. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pattern that you've it's developed. It's to smoky smoke. I'm going to have a smoky cigarette, and I'm trying to do the Tracy thing, and I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that was... I don't know if it's a guy thing. I don't know about you guys, but I, I honestly think we need routine, and we get into routines, and we have a way we like to do things, and a, an order we like to do things. It's, that's human, And if I you think. change your life, your routine, yeah, maybe it is then, yeah. But yeah, maybe if you change more it, of certainly a, kids more of a male really thing, need though. it. I know kids really need it, certainly. Um, but when you change your life and your routine doesn't fit anymore, you need it's hard to change the but, routine. Yeah. Well, your routines are built up over yeah. time, and you have to accept yeah. the fact that establishing new routines is also going to take time. Yep. And recognize that that's what you're doing as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. So, Tracy, I, I've never told you this, but... You know, when we first started this podcast, and I mean, I didn't know, you know, Chris introduced us. I didn't, you know, I didn't. He hated you. No. <laughs> no, he said Not letters. at all. I just didn't know you, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but what I have come to know and admire greatly over the, what now, two and a half some odd years that we've been doing this dumb shit is that you are one of the at least as far as I can tell, I mean, you may be crazy as fuck for all I know, but from what I can tell, you are one of the most grounded and mentally stable and healthy people that I've ever met. Like you, when I say, you know, jokingly, Oh yeah. Hancock's going to be the adult in the room. I mean that like I'm joking about it, but I, I mean it and I admire it because you know, like when, Chris and I are like, oh, this fucking guy, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go fight the battle. And you're like, really? Why are you even? Why do you even give a shit? I'm like, I wish I had that level of equanimity. And and so because I, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, um, I'm a little bit in awe and a little bit in jealousy of your ability to do that. And, you know, Chris and I will kind of talk about our problems and not not a lot, but you just don't seem to have any. 
you just seem to can't. You, I mean, you have stress with work. <laughs> yeah. You have. You yeah, have. That we just doesn't like talking about them. So this no, is what I'm, I'm getting mean, I've to. Got is, them for sure. I've got this them. is what I'm getting to. Is you you have stress with work. I mean, you tell us about because you're a business owner. You have a super high stress life when it comes to work, obviously, and I'm sure we don't hear nearly as much of that as there actually is because. Being an entrepreneur in America in a high attrition industry like the restaurant business has to be stressful. But how do you do it, man? Are you are you just not are you just not as broken as the rest of us? What's your secret? I don't know, dude. I mean, like the there are stressors in the restaurant industry, like, but it's external, right? It's like hiring and firing and dealing with people who are, you know, who are not doing a great job or, or hindering the performance of your business. That's part of it. But also like equipment breakdown, like shit just breaks all the fucking time. Like, I feel like most of what I spend... You're always telling me the oven doesn't work, the water's gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we just fixed a fucking plumbing problem in the kitchen and now the faucets are dripping. And I'm like... You don't think that's a big deal until your $300 water bill turns into a $900 water bill. And you're like, what the fuck, man? Or or you have employees who, you know, in the ladies' room, the toilet's been running for three days and none of the girls who work for you have bothered to mention it. And you're like, (laughs) fucking hell, man. Like, there are stressors, but they're all exterior. You know, like, they, they are things that are being inflicted upon me. Um, and it's my job to deal with them. That's that's my job at that business is to fucking just walk around putting out fires. And because it's my job to walk around and put out fires, it's just my everyday experience. And it's just another day in paradise, you know, like the occasionally I will I'll walk around and be like, am I losing my fucking mind or is everything running pretty well right now like <laughs> like maybe i'm just gonna get the fuck out of here before something else breaks you know so there's external factors but i i think i i don't know how how widespread it is i mean i it, it's something that can be learned but because i'm seeing like my wife can sometimes get into situations which like really escalate her anxiety you know like You've got to make a flight. You've you've left early enough. You get to the airport. Everything takes longer than you expect. The security lines massive. Blah blah blah. And she's you know, like her anxiety starts ramping up. And I'm like, what do you want to do about it? Like, what what alternatives do you have? This is the situation we're in. It's either going to resolve itself to our satisfaction or it's not. Like we're in the security line. That's like fucking what looks to be an hour long security line. Like. And we have to make this flight. Do you want me to go up and start asking people if I can cut in front of them? That's not going to happen. Like, be real. Like, if you're in the situation and you can control it, then by all means control it. If you can't control it, let the fuck go of it. Dude, I was just sitting here thinking while I'm listening to you that if you're not a disciple of Stoicism, of the school of Marcus Aurelius, uh, you know, Epictetus, you're just naturally one because that right there, what you just said, control the shit that you can control, ignore the stuff that you know you can't control. And of course, the key is recognizing when to give a fuck and not give a fuck. Right, Matt? I mean, that's even, you know, well, the fine art of not giving a fuck. How many of you guys have read that book? 
Nobody. You've read, read it. it. <laughs> you've read it, haven't yeah, you? You've read it, haven't you? You've read it, haven't you? Tracy wrote it. Well, yeah, I just look. feel like, and I and I and I didn't mean to derail, but you just like you just so perfectly encompassed that, and that's a big answer to my question, really. I guess the airport example resonated with me because I have the exact same shit that your wife deals with. With that, like you know, you're at the airport and there's a line, and oh fuck, we're gonna miss the flight. You know, here's how we don't get on our, on our vacation, etc. And I can tell myself, and my wife will tell me, what are we gonna? You can't do anything about it. Just it is what it is. And my brain's like, yeah, but we're going to miss the flight and everything's going to go to hell. And it's going to be just fucking disaster. And the kids are being loud. And it just, it spirals very quickly. And so it, it's, I wish that I had that ability to tell myself, can't do anything about it. Just, and in some parts of life I do, but in other parts, not yeah. so much. Well, here's the challenge I'll give you, Will. In the way that you were describing Tracy, you know, Tracy, I, I don't know you yet, but I, I hope to, and you know, I'll, I'll revisit this, you know, some point down the road. But, um, but in general, the question I have, not towards Tracy in particular, is your your vision of him, your understanding of him, your experience of him, is that Tracy being the stereotypical male that we're all supposed to be. <laughs> Or is that actually his personality? No, that, that's not what <laughs> right? I mean. I hope I did not. I hope I did not no. make it seem that way because I don't. I, well, no, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I, saying... I don't see him as the as the strong, silent, silent. I can't even talk. The strong, silent type who just doesn't discuss his problems. I don't. I don't see. Mm-hmm. The, I don't see him that way. I see him as a person who's got an extraordinary ability to handle his problems. That's what I'm saying. To some extent, yeah, but I, I, I still go back to, to to the fundamental question, right? We've we males of this age have been trained that that is the job, that is the goal. Yeah, deal with what you can. Don't worry about what you can't. And if you worry about what you can't, that's a problem of who you are as a person, right? That's that's been a societal training for a long time, as opposed to uh, being a a calculate or a calculate or an intentional life coping strategy. Right. You're just automatically right. supposed to understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and and if you're not, then there's a problem yeah, it's there. It's a character right? flaw. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, I have to give uh, I'll, I'll I'll share kind of the opposite from the you know the, the modeling mojo getting lost. Mine's actually getting found. Uh, so Matt and I get the 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 privilege of being able to hang out, at least my privilege, I don't know about his, but it's mine. I uh, get to, to hang out and have lunch on a regular basis. And uh, I don't know, Matt, what was it, March? Maybe you mentioned that you had just started SSRIs. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, it's suddenly there was this permission almost that, uh, you know, I've, I've had massive anxiety for a long time in, in ways that, you know, in a lot of ways have, have kind of funneled into good. You know, when you have a screaming voice in the back of your head saying you're not good enough, you work real hard to overcome that voice, right? And so, good things can happen out of life, right? You can get a better job. You can be recognized in your career field, you know, all that stuff that you can, you just overcompensate for to try and tone that voice down can, can lead to some good things. But, you know, I've had tons of anxiety for, for my entire life and a whole bunch of different ways. And my, my, my therapist has been asking sort of in a, um, what do you know about uh, anxiety medication? Have you ever thought about it? 
you should probably think about it. Hey, what are we doing about it? Kind of yeah, uh, process over time. Uh, so about the time she was finally getting to the point of saying, yeah, we really should be looking at that. Uh, we've done, we've only done, we've done as much as we can do in talk therapy, right? Like there may be some chemical things going on. Uh, Matt got on it and, you know, huge kudos to him for, for, for being as open as he was, because that allowed me the permission to start thinking about it for myself instead of just, oh, I just got to handle it. I just got to make do, right? I've uh, got to fix it on my own, pull myself up by my bootstraps. Uh, and when I, when I got on SSRIs uh, about a month after Matt did, so however long that's been, a couple months, uh, you know, it was pretty quick to help uh, smooth the road, right? So no huge spikes up, no huge spikes down, which was, you know, still got a good solid middle ground of living life, but it's not this constant like, oh shit, or almost overjoyed to the point of, you know, a little extreme, right? Um, but th what that's allowed me to do, and, and this is part of why I'm, I've, I've made such good progress on these couple of post-NATS projects, is because the, the screaming voice isn't back there keeping me from the workbench, right? That, that voice got quiet, and I can sit at the workbench and say, this isn't perfect, but it's fine. I'm going to keep going. Instead of, this isn't perfect, what kind of person are you? Go back and start over. Strip the paint, do it again. Or just don't even get to the paint because you spent so much time getting the construction perfect, you're probably going to fuck it up when you get to paint. So just set it aside and create a shelf queen for yourself because that's that's safer, right? So you know, for for me, it's kind of the 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 opposite of what Matt was describing in the sense that I'm I'm able to get my mojo now. Uh, you know, it's it's calming everything down, allow, allowing me to go. And Chris, I resonate with that responsibility idea that you know we have this responsibility to go model. I had a feeling like that for forever but more because I knew that it made me feel good if I could just sit down and do it, right? If I, if I could get past that first 30 minutes or 45 minutes of trying to remind myself this is fun and I'm decent at this, then it would become fun. So it was a responsibility to get the thing that I needed, which was that creative input. It was a responsibility to model itself per se, but now it's uh, that 30, 45 minute process in the, in the beginning is, is not there anymore, which feels pretty fucking good. Absolutely. Tracy, I, I, I kind of derailed. Yeah, I mean... The, yeah, no, I, I think you were going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, I just... I I, I, we kind of told Tracy how he feels, but didn't let Tracy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I, I just was struck by that thing about, the sto about stoicism, and... But I didn't want to cut you off if you were getting to the actual answer, you know. I, so there's, there's a couple of things that have come up while while you guys have been discussing that I was thinking like the airport analogy again, like where there's, there's two, I don't know why everything's about the fucking airport today, but there's two, <laughs> two stories about an airport. So one is that, um, I was talking to, uh, some regulars at the restaurant who know that I smoke and we were talking about flying to Australia, you know? And they're like, well, how did you handle like a 13 hour flight without smoking a cigarette? And I was like, well, there was no possibility of smoking a cigarette. So my brain was like, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to pull over and let you smoke a cigarette. You, you can't hop out. <laughs> Crack a window. <laughs> right. You can't hop out on the wing and have a couple of drags. Like you're on this fucking airplane for 13 hours until it lands. Until you get through, until there's an opportunity to have a cigarette. There is no opportunity to have a cigarette. So I don't worry about it. Right. My brain just was like, okay, that's not a thing. But as soon as we landed in LAX, we had a two and a half hour layover. We're walking by security. My brain is like, you can leave your luggage with your wife and you can go out and have a cigarette and then come back through security right now. 
Like, there's the opportunity to go have a cigarette. So suddenly my brain is like, hey, 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 let's do this. Hey, come on. Like, when I, I guess I'm pretty good at, at managing what is uh, what is possible and what is not. Um, the flip side of that is that coming back from World Model Expo, and I'm telling this story because I know Sam Dwyer is out there being like, now, wait a minute, motherfucker. I've got a story about you at an airport. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna write us a letter and spill the tea. Yeah, for sure. So I I mistakenly assumed that uh, that Eindhoven was a big enough locale that you could just get a taxi whenever you wanted. So I got up at four forty five in the morning. I was ready to leave by about five forty five. I go down to the lobby and check out and then i'm like can can i get a taxi and they're like did you schedule a taxi last night and i was like <laughs> no so apparently the next taxi was coming at like 6 45 which was 15 minutes after my train left and i was like fuck oh my god like i'm fucked and they're like just get on the bus the bus stops right there you know it comes every 15 minutes you can use your debit card it's like two two euro fifty and it takes you directly in there. So I did that. But every step of the way was like that. Like I got to I got to the train station. I got on my train. I go to the next train station. I get on a train that I think is mine. It turns out it's not because it starts going the opposite way. And, and the only person awake at this hour for me to like unload on is Sam. And I'm like, I'm texting Sam and I'm like, holy fuck, the, the train is literally going back the direction we just fucking came from. I'm going to miss my flight. Every step of this travel was fraught with this kind of shit. Like, the lady came by to check tickets and I said, do you speak English? She said, of course I speak English, you silly man. And I said, I believe I'm on the wrong train. I'm trying to get to Brussels. And she goes, no, you are on the wrong train. And I'm like, ah! And she's like, we are going to Brussels, but we had to go one stop back because the station was closed. We had to get these people to their station. Now we're on route to Brussels. And I was like, great. And she said, you're on the wrong train. The train that you're taking was a much nicer train. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? And she's like, well, it just means that you're, when you get to Brussels, you're going to get there on a not as nice train. What she failed to do or to tell me was that she didn't scan my ticket, which meant that upon leaving the station, because the station, the train stopped at the airport, which was the benefit of the not so nice train. The nice train went to Brussels and then I had to take a train back to the airport one stop. This train actually stopped at the airport. I get off, but because she hadn't scanned my ticket, it won't let me out of the train station into the airport. <laughs> and I'm freaking, I am, again, I'm freaking out, man. And so I had to literally like snug up behind a perfect stranger as they were going through. And they, <laughs> tailgate yeah, someone. <laughs> and they, they turned around to look at me and I was like, I don't fucking have time to explain what I just did. I'm, I'm never going to see you again in my life. I have to get to my fucking plane. I I get there, and the security line is massive. Absolutely massive. And again, I'm on the phone with Sam, like, taking pictures. I'm like, I'm not going to make this fucking flight. I'm not going to make this fucking flight. And I get up to the front of the line for everybody who's not an EU passport holder, because there's no line over there. Those people just walk right through. Thank you. Goodbye. So the guy's like, oh you're about to miss your flight. You should go over there. And I was like, but I've been in this line for an hour and nobody bothered to tell me that. So I go over there and the guy's like, Hey, did you have a good time in Europe? I'm like, yeah, great. Let's go. And he's like, go. <laughs> I get to the, I get to the gate 
the guy looks at my passport and is like, oh, you need the sticker right here so on your passport. So you need to go get in that line. <laughs> and I'm in that line. And like at this point, the plane is boarding and sh- scheduled to leave within 15 minutes. And they're calling you. Where are you, Tracy? No, they're, Hancock, I'm, in in a, I'm in a line full of people <laughs> who they just look at your passport and then uh, they put a little sticker off and put it on the back. And then I go back and the guy was like, he, he looked at my ticket again on my phone. He was like, oh, well, yeah, you didn't need that sticker. I would have let you in anyway. Oh. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and I got on the plane and the guy was like, you look like you could use a mimosa. And I was like, gull. Yes, another please. Uh, so, I mean, in that particular instance, I lost my shit at every single stop. And I think part of it was because there was nobody else. Like, it wasn't my job to be the calm and cool person in that situation. And again, these are all things at every single stop, every single stressful moment that I just mentioned, I could do nothing about. I, I couldn't have changed the... I could have changed it for the whole fucking world, right? But instead of being the person who's like, well, I can't do anything about it, so I guess I kind of got to ride along with it. No, I, I was I was losing my shit at that point. And part of me is thinking back on that and thinking, you know, if I'm in a group of people and there needs to be somebody who's like, okay, let's all just fucking calm down and, and see what we can do about this situation instead of just all screaming and freaking out, that's me. But in that situation, there was nobody but me, so I was the one screaming and freaking out. So it's I'm I'm not always like Mr. Calm, cool, and collected. Like there there are times and I'm you know, again, I wonder if it's like if I'm in a situation where I have to be the if somebody needs to be the calm, cool, collected person, I'm very good at being the calm, cool, collected person. Um and like moving things forward rather than standing there watching everybody scream that the house is on fire like okay well let's get out of the house like you know yeah but if i'm gonna say one thing about uh uh, about what i am struggling with with mental health it is the fact that my entire life up until maybe the last three years ago um growing old and being a very very old person was very far away it was nothing I ever concerned myself about because it was so fucking far away that why waste my time thinking about it, you know? Mm. And now I'm visiting my mother and my aunt and, you know, my my mother is, is she can get out of the house, but um, she doesn't get around very well. My aunt has got a little walker and everything. And it's like the last time I went home to visit, it dawned on me like, fuck me. Like, that's not that far away for me. Like, I have uh, um, uh, an awareness of my mortality that I did not ever have before. And so I'm, I'm looking at my elderly relatives and suddenly I'm doing the math and thinking that's 30 years away. Like 30 years is a long time, but 30 years is not a long time. And so not when you realize that you've got 30 years behind you, plus a bunch well, not, I mean, it's, it's not even that. It's for the first time in my life, I am actually thinking like, oh, there's the end of the tunnel. Like at yeah. some point this ride ends and I can see the end of the fucking ride now. And I've never been able to see the end of the ride before. So I never thought the ride would end. The end of the ride never concerned me, you know. So now suddenly, like I've got a dose of my own mortality. And that's something that it, it, uh, it just 
pokes you, you know, like it's just like, hey, hey. And it, it comes up in places and in times when you're like, fuck, I guess I never thought about that before. Like opening your door closet door behind me and looking at my stash. And I'm like, yeah, no, no. I mean, there's no way. There's just no, like, with what I have in my stash right now, nah, I'll be... And the speechy bill. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's like the the qual- the job that I want to do with these projects, the quality that I want to do, like, yeah, man, that's nothing. Like, when you've got, like, a big Tupperware bin. Well, I mean, and it's like, you know, <laughs> these esoteric subjects that I'm so into, these Between the Wars civilian aircraft and racers that... I spent so much time and money chasing down these extremely rare and very poor kits. And my in my head, I'm like, okay, one of these days I'm going to sit down and start working on these guys and do just a bang-up job. Like, like I'm building up to the point where I sit down and just like, you know, slowly but surely start like building these things to the to the level of detail and and finesse that I envision them in my head. And now I'm looking at them and I'm like, well that's not going to happen. Like if I started right now and did nothing else, but that, that's not going to happen. Um, and it, you know, it ties in with the, you know, David Knight and his trimmer. Like you start thinking about like, not only is the end of the ride down the line, but at this point, the car starts breaking down too. <laughs> like, is the car going to break down in a way that I, I don't, because in my experience, the human body either the body goes or the mind goes like mm-hmm. my mother and my aunt their bodies have gone their their bodies have, are deteriorating and their mobility is decreased and x y and z but their brains they can tell you everything about the past like I, I i can talk to my mom about like hey what was the name of that little deli that we went to 30 years ago it was on the corner of this and my mom would be like boom there it is right there like the mind is there but the body's not so part of me is like, oh my God, what happens if I can't build models anymore? What happens if my my dexterity is gone? And like, you know, and that's scary. But then you start to think, well, what if I fucking get Alzheimer's? Or like, what if my memory becomes so bad that when I sit down at the bench, I have no idea what I'm even fucking looking at or why I'm there? You know, like my, you know, I'm just consumed with the terror of growing old and dying, you know? And it's sort of like, Okay, I mean that's gonna happen. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Again, this going back to the theme of like worrying about things you can't do anything about. I can't do anything about it. Like it's gonna happen. I don't know when it's gonna happen. That's kind of the worst part. Like it's the worst surprise in the world. Um, it's like when is this gonna happen? And and what are the like? Is it gonna be sudden and just suddenly I'm dead, or is it gonna be like this slow fucking deterioration? You know. So, you know, there's there's stuff that's in the back of my head, um, but again, like, can I can I do anything about it? No. Do I wish it were different? Yeah. You know. So, like, I guess at this point, I'm like, well, fuck it. Like, I'm gonna do what I want to do. I'm gonna try to do everything I want to do. I'm, you know, I'm in a point where, you know, for. The first time in my life, I'm like, well, how am I going to fucking afford to do this when I'm not working anymore? Because at some point, I will either choose to or be forced to stop working. And I need to make sure that I have enough revenue so that I'm not eating cat food, you know? So, I don't know. 
It's like it's it's the pinnacle of adulting. It's like the 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 tallest peak of the mountain that nobody wants to fucking climb. You know, uh, but we all got to fucking climb it at some point. So yeah, we do for sure. And and some people, you know, uh, will have so much trouble with that that they will. I mean, like it like you're handling. Well, it can, and you're handling it with your own natural natural mechanisms which i think is sort of the ideal but some people can't or and and so i think this conversation about seeking other methods and finding out if you need some help is 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 really important because yeah you know we're because it's like it's like jake said before we're sort of conditioned as dudes to believe that if you can't handle it naturally then you're it's a character problem and it and it may just be a chemical problem. It may be. I mean, there are any any number of of other things that it may be. But it, I think the important thing, or the fact that it's just fucking tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. or like, it could yeah. lead to depression. Like dealing yeah. with something like yeah. that, having that kind of revelation can lead to depression, right? Yes, it can. It so can for sure. So again, it's like it's not even a matter of how you. Uh, not only about choosing how you handle it, but recognizing what you're handling, that, right? That you need to handle. And that's kind of like my little minor addition to this conversation because all of this stuff was kind of circling around for me uh, because I think, I don't know, you guys have probably heard me say that I've had some struggles and I don't haven't really talked much about it and I certainly haven't talked much about it publicly, but a couple of people, you know, that pay attention and I'm really grateful for that have hit me up. They've been like, you know, hey, dude, if things been okay, you know, what's going on with you? And, you know, and I don't try to like talk about it, but it's all been kind of swirling around in my head because I sort of like... I got to a point about eight or nine months ago, I guess almost a year ago now, where I was struggling more than I thought I should be. Like for me, with you know recovery from the spinal cord injury, I'm 13 years down the road. I've been fighting that war every day. And I've been able to depend on my brain to like when I step away from myself and kind of look at it from the outside, sometimes I even think it's a little bit supernatural. Like when I checked out of the hospital in, in Denver, Craig hospital, they did a pretty standard mental health analysis, exit interview type thing that they do with everybody. Cause you come out of there with a spinal cord injury, like especially in my case with what's called an incomplete spinal cord injury, which basically means your spinal cord's not completely fucked and you're just permanently paralyzed. I am, it's an incomplete injury. Like I didn't actually break my spine. I didn't sever my spinal cord. I blew out three discs in my neck, which basically caused them to, you know, those discs are like donuts. And when they swell up, they can choke off your spinal cord. And that's basically what happened to me. It was instant. Like I saw an arm flop over in front of my face and I was like, that's weird. Whose arm is that? I was awake for the whole thing. And then I realized, oh, fuck, I'm paralyzed from the neck down. That's why I don't know that that's my own arm. I'm like a head that's just floating in space. Anyway, 
obviously I recovered from that quite a bit. And, and a lot of that happened when I was in the hospital. And when I did the exit interview and they ask you all these questions because they want to know how soon you're going to kill yourself, basically. Because an incomplete spinal cord injury puts me in one of the highest suicide rate demographics that exists. Because you get teased constantly every fucking day. An in, a complete spinal cord injury, you're just done. And I think that a lot of folks that are in that situation just learn to accept that. But if you're an incomplete injury, you get teased. Because one day... You feel pretty decent. Your pain level's pretty low. You, and like in my case, you walk around the house. Your legs are moving okay. And then the next day, you can't fucking move. Everything's a struggle. And that constant having your chain yanked constantly is what breaks a lot of people to the point where they can't deal with it. And so they, you know, they, they, they want to know that stuff. And they wrote in my file that this patient is not processing the conditions of his injury normally. And I was grateful. I was like, God damn right. And I've been able to depend on my brain and my whatever, you know, my mentality, my natural stoicism for 13 years. And drug free basically like i i was on a shit ton of medications when i when i when they checked me out painkillers opioids anti-anxiety medication stool softeners bladder medication i mean it was a pile and by the time i was 3 years out i had cleaned that pile out completely and i've existed for the last 10 years pretty much pharmaceutical free I smoke some weed. I can't drink because it just fucks with my nervous system way too much. And I drink a little bit, but not to the point where it's like any sort of a of a medication. And I and and I I don't, you know, I take some ibuprofen and some and some uh, Tylenol when I'm really in a lot of pain, but mostly I just have to be still. That's how I that's my best painkiller. Or I, you know, I do work at my workbench. I take my head out of the out of the pain space. But I found myself about a year ago, like, fuck, I'm struggling more than I should be. And it wasn't just physically. It was, I don't really feel like going to my workbench. I'm not really interested. And part of it, and this is going to sound bad, but my happy place is problem solving. Like when I wake up and I've got a problem, I'm immediately in that space. Like how am I going to, like I'm visualizing how I'm going to get through it, even down to where am I going to drill the hole to put this little wire so that I can make it look like a cable or a piece of pipe or whatever? It's that compulsive and that detailed. And I just wasn't there. And part of the reason, and I don't mean this to sound like the way it's going to sound, but when you already know the answers to a lot of those kind of problems, you don't have the excitement of figuring it out anymore. Like, does that make sense? Like, like that challenge, like, okay, if I have a problem with my paint, I know what to do. If I have a problem with, you know, whatever. And that's just, a, that just happens with experience. That's not like, because I'm some kind of, you know, superhero model maker. It's just because been through it, figured it out. It doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. The challenge and the 
enjoyment comes from new challenges. Exactly. Once you've already solved Exactly. And the adventure and the excitement of solving new challenges has largely faded away just because of, you know, almost a decade now, because I got back into it about, about, uh, about nine years ago as a physical or an occupational therapy exercise to sort of, you know, to try and make my hands work better. And so for a long time, it was just constant problem solving. And I found myself just like, meh, no new challenges. I'm not really in love with my projects. I'm not really stoked about the results. Eh, I was just feeling very meh about the whole thing. So Matt, I could really relate to what I sort of was reading you going through. But like I was not suspecting my brain. I was sort of like thinking a little bit like maybe am I dealing with a little bit of depression? You know, because that's not something that I've had to deal with. Like I'm just lucky. I don't get anxiety. I don't I've never dealt with depression. Like I just process shit. And I was really starting to question that and I was listening to as you guys know, I listened to a lot of Rogan. And he's talked a lot, and some of the other podcasts that I listened to talked a lot about about the benefits of of TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. And I started thinking about the fact that my numbers were ridiculously low. Like when I'd go to get blood work done, my fucking testosterone was abominable, like just way embarrassingly low. Like they want you to be around, you know, 800 to 1,000, and I'm like at 300 or less like disastrously low, but I never wanted to try to get on testosterone because it's like the black market. Like you got to meet some dude in an alley and then you got to, you know, you're, you know, you're sticking a needle in your ass once every six weeks. Like on a Facebook ad. Yeah. Lucky horse tranquilizers. All kinds <laughs> yeah. Of stuff. It's like. Guy with a limp in a van. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and even though I like knew people, like I have a, uh, like, you know, I know no guys who who are who are are on it and use it, and I had access to it. I was just like, you know, because they were telling me about how it's like seven hundred bucks a month, and you got to be really careful and not stick the not stick the needle in the wrong place because if you get testosterone in your bloodstream, you're gonna die. And you know, it was like okay, but. It's weird how the internet has changed a lot of things. And I was getting ads in, literally, Matt, and I was getting ads in my Facebook feed for programs um, to do TRT, you know, via telehealth. And so about uh, February, I started looking into it and researching some of them. And so, you know, the punchline of the story is I got on a program and now I'm on the juice. (laughs) I get I got into a program that cost me about 250 bucks a month and they send me the stuff and I give myself a shot every single day. Most of the time it's supposed to, like it is a normal like a 6 week thing, but these guys have a program and this is one reason why I selected it was because it's a daily thing. And it's a little bitty tiny needle that I don't have to be terrified of. I stick it, you know, stick it in my thigh, stick it in my gut, whatever, and it's not a big deal. And it has made a dramatic difference. I haven't been back to do blood work. I don't know what my numbers are now as compared to, you know, eight months ago. But it made a big difference. A big difference. Like in my attitude, my, like I feel, I feel more like myself again. 
and it's had some sort of side things that I didn't know what to expect. I mean, some of it's been the obvious stuff. Boobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a, that is a, that is a bit of a myth. Uh, no, no, no man boobs, but it starts growing. Yeah. But, but like, like, I think some people have even noticed this a little bit with some of my commentary or whatever, but it's like, it brought back a lot of feels. Like I didn't realize I felt like it was kind of like flatlining. Like my emotions had just kind of like flattened out to where I was this sort of, I don't know, version of myself where I just wasn't feeling much. And that's why I started to worry about depression. Because isn't that sort of a symptom? Like you just aren't, like you don't give a shit? It can be, yeah. It's sort of emotional numbness. Yeah, and I've... Yeah, and one of the one of the triggers uh, that my that my therapist walked through was it is for both burnout and depression is when you are in a situation where you have a high level of responsibility or expectations on yourself for whatever reason it could be work could be family health whatever but very little control over it yeah and I mean like th- I think that's what kicked me into depression uh, was you know at, in the situation I was at at work high expectations but there'd be a lot of pivots that would be thrown at me from like, you know, various executives. It's like, oh, we're doing this now instead. Or, oh, you thought this thing was final? I have comments a month later, you know, stuff like that. And it just wore me down, I think. But I mean, you know, in your situation, I could, I could see that like, you know, the, the high level of responsibility with the not really having the control can certainly be a, I can see, I can see why the, uh, the Denver hospital is, is, you know, ranking, ranking conditions like yours is dangerous for sure. Yeah. I mean, cause it, 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 it is like it, my whole life changed from, you know, that kind of high level responsibility, decision-making, how am I going to solve these work problems? How am I going to pay the, pay the rent this month? You know, how am I going to fix the brakes on my wife's car to, how am I going to walk across the room successfully now? Like, mm-hmm. like it's become a moment by moment sort of thing. And I was really, you know, and I've been worried, like, has that just worn me out? Like I've been dealing with it. I've apparently doing okay, but how long am I going to be able to deal with it? And why am I not dealing with it as well? And how is it affecting all of the other things I'm doing? And, you know, the only, the the real point to this, to this story is, again, to look at everything and don't be afraid to try something, you know, like I was terrified of trying the testosterone thing and there's a certain amount of stigma to it, right? Like, oh, you're a fucking meathead and you're going to get roid rage and you're going to get man boobs and all these other things. But and just listening and talking to people and being willing to be open-minded about it and pay attention to particular things. Like I'm not trying to go, I mean, obviously in my condition, I can barely lift my fucking arms. I'm not trying to go bench press 300 pounds. That's not my goal here. My goal is to just have enough energy and enough like mental clarity and enthusiasm to just survive each day and so just listening carefully, I started to think, maybe I should look into this. And I'm stoked because it's a non, 
pharmaceutical salute. Well, it is it has because it's a controlled substance and you have to be on a prescription and all that. But, you know, the Internet and telehealth and the ability to have a meeting with my doctor over Zoom and get evaluated. They sent me a blood test. I did the thing. I sent it back. You know, the accessibility of solutions is just so much greater. And I feel like, you know, it's not like a miracle for me. I don't suddenly, I'm not suddenly running around like I was never paralyzed, but it's brought me a lot closer back to myself than I was. And that's been a, that's been a really important thing. So anyway, I just, it, 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 I, you know, I'm not trying to sound like an evangelist for TRT, but know your numbers, get a fucking blood test. It's super easy guys. Don't, you know, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't need none of that shit. F- shut the fuck up. Go to the doctor, get a blood test, get the blood work done. They can tell you, they can look at your numbers and tell you if your prostate's swollen just from looking at the numbers. If your testosterone's low, they can see that instantly. If your blood sugar's fucked up like Matt's was, they can see that. You know, it's super easy to do and there's no excuse. And when people depend on you, it's really your responsibility. Go do it. Yeah, Will, the the thing that really stuck out to me as a as a community community nerd is the the fact that you had friends that spoke up for you yeah you know that you were talking about your community saying hey man something's off you know and i think in that that's a uh, you know women do that really well yeah really well sometimes a little too well according (laughs) to them Uh, but you know the, the 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 guys don't do that as much it feels a little uncomfortable to say hey you're 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 off why are you paying so much attention is you know often the response yeah uh, what do you want to kiss me now but you know if, if, <laughs> yeah, exactly. why are you looking at me bro i think that shit needs to stop <laughs> yeah but i mean good for your friends for for speaking up and saying that that you know it sounds like in part at least got you thinking eh, maybe i need to pay attention to this and you know again i go back to how appreciative i i was am and 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 am are <laughs> how appreciative of matt that i am um for for speaking openly and and letting me ask him a hundred questions and you know just having that conversation enough to prompt me to go eh, maybe I should look into this too I've been thinking about it but now somebody I actually know is is having a good experience and uh, you know that mean that means a lot to this process I think to overcome some of these yeah male mental barriers yeah and that's that's why I wanted to do this in part was because it's kind of like when I I did the I did a medical tourism sort of thing in 2018 where I went to Panama to get stem cell treatment uh, because there were some revolutionary results. I was interested in it, and the specific procedure is not allowed in the United States. Um, still not. Still in the research phase. And I just was like, I want to go try this. And so I made a whole thing of it. I did a, a, a GoFundMe thing, not so much to help pay for it. I mean, it was expensive, but to really like get more people sort of connected to it. And I think that as dudes with platforms that, that we have that opportunity and that it's, 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 a you know, it's, it's a way that we can do some small good in the world by helping, you know, other folks, other guys, understand that we're all dealing with some shit we're all fucking crazy we're all broken we've all got something and you don't have i mean you don't have to just 
do that thing that we're conditioned as men to do of just, you know, suck it up. Don't talk about your problems. You gotta be hard, man. Fuck that. You know, the real strength is in being like Matt and being able to just like, yeah, look, this is my deal. This is what I went through. This is how I worked the problem. That's the real strength. And I wanted to get you guys on here for that reason and appreciate you guys being open. Chris, did you want to talk about anything? And also, it's quite hard to follow because, I mean, when you talk about what you've been through, Will, you know, it's that classic thing that I think, well, fucking why am I you know what right have I got to feel bad mm. you know no because I, you've been none of my things. like everybody here everybody, everybody, everybody well, yeah but none of my it's, it's none of my fucking, issues are external it's not a competition it's all like none of the, none of it is because of things that have happened to me do you know what I mean I've had a really frankly easy life and a good life I mean my dad died quite young but then there's a lot of people that can say that so it's nothing particularly other than that you know, I mean, is this my the thing English is, downplaying? Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a yeah. very big. Well, I'm trying to build up to it. Yeah, I'm trying to build up to it because <laughs> because me and Tracy know better because you've been open with us, but you're a very private person, and we ain't going to drag it out yeah. here for you. I do quite often overshare, actually. But oh um, come on, stop! Mostly after a few drinks, most, mostly after a few <laughs> drinks uh, in person rather than on a on a podcast. I mean, for me, the earliest thing I can remember when I was about five or six, um, I uh, I did something really minor that was really embarrassing. And my mind started to make it worse and worse and worse in a spiral and I catastrophized it into like, it being a huge thing that everyone would hate me for, etc. Et oh, it was, was I jumped out from behind a hedge at what I thought was a friend and went, and it was his mum. And I was so embarrassed, and then I wouldn't like I didn't go to see him for weeks because I was so embarrassed by it, and it just got worse. But the older I've got, the more I do it, and it became a mental habit that anything that happens that's remotely negative, I think over it and over it and over it and over it until it becomes a huge, massive catastrophe that everyone hates before, and it becomes like a self-reinforcing habit, which has just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was when I was at university uh, and talking to someone about it, I realised that not everyone does this. I thought everyone did it. And I thought my problem was that I couldn't handle it, that I couldn't deal with it and just get on with my life anyway, normally. And so it was was quite a revelation to find out that, you know, not everybody felt like that all the time. (laughs) It was a real surprise. Um, and I, I kind of still, I, I medicated it then with weed and booze, basically, was how I got around it at the time. I got stoned and pissed all the time, which meant I got quite, I got a, a second class degree because when I was there, I wasn't really mentally engaged in it. And most of the time I wasn't there anyway. I was off doing other things. And um, and uh, it was only sort of in the last uh, three, four years that I went to the doctor about it. And got diagnosed with um, severe anxiety and started taking um, medication. But they recommended me to do uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, talking therapies. Mm-hmm. And I did an assessment for it over the phone. And the assessment made me so anxious that I had a full 
panic attack and just couldn't go through with it couldn't go to the sessions or anything the idea of sat in front of other people doing what we're doing now talking about it was fucking terrifying really awful you know um and then after that i just kind of i did i did go on the medication but i have this habit of thinking about thinking that i'm a terrible person and i a really awful person and i got into the habit of thinking well if i kill myself then i won't have to worry about it but that was like a weird safety valve i didn't actually intend to kill myself it was like a thing saying well if it gets that bad you can do that and you'll be fine you know it'll be over and so that was like a thing that i used to think to myself and then if i thought that then i didn't i could worry less if you see what i mean um, but then earlier this year, it got to the point where it went from being a safety valve to being something I was considering is it, for real. Is it almost like you were like, well, I've always got that option so I can chill kind of a thing. Yeah. Kind it, of a mechanism. It, it's like a, yeah, but it's like a, not exactly a logical one, a weirdly psychotic one. Mm. <laughs> but earlier this year, it got to the point where I was seriously considering it and I was getting to the point of thinking of doing it. Um, so I got uh, recently applied to mental health services and got uh, assessed as having severe anxiety and depression. And I think, although I've never been to a psychologist and done it, I think it's uh, it's like a form of OCD. The, the constant intrusive negative thoughts. It's like a, an obsessive compulsive habit that I have. A lot of people think OCD is like washing door handles and shit and, you know, turning taps three times left and three times right and all that sort of thing. Sure, it can be, but it can also be mentally excessive compulsive behavior so yeah i'm getting um some help for it now and going through various online workshops and all sorts of stuff uh largely because you know i've got a family and i can't check out on them if you know what i mean i can't largely because you deserve to be in the world like yeah that's not a point i've actually got to yet i'm aiming at it logically i know that's true emotionally i can't accept that yet i mean i've had some pretty serious talks with some friends who've had depression and anxiety and pretty serious and you know it's you wouldn't think that uh, of the reminder that you like you deserve to be happy you deserve to be in this world like those are things that you wouldn't obviously think that you need to tell people sometimes but really do like sometimes you need to tell people like there you deserve to be happy like you know like keep doing the things that are helpful and and find solutions to the things that are not working because you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be in the world enjoying the world and suffering through the world in the same way everybody else does like so I'm telling you that, Chris. Like you deserve to be happy, and I know that. You deserve but, uh, to be in the world, you know. And intellectually, I I know that, but emotionally, I don't. I can't believe it yet. I'm working on it. Yeah. But I, I honestly don't think I'm a good enough. Well, person. that's why I'm going to keep. That's why I'll keep I know, telling like, you that. I'm hearing myself saying it, thinking, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But it's just that yeah. you know. Because if you think about it, you know, that's a really. It's the thing about it is it's weirdly solipsistic it's weirdly like putting yourself at the center of the universe to think these things are that important do you know what i mean it, it's almost like a selfish thing which makes me feel worse fuck's sake well that, um, that that's the part of your brain that wants you to feel worse making you feel yeah, worse. yeah. see this right. is the problem your brain sabotages itself mm-hmm. it, it looks for ways mm-hmm. to make you feel bad about yourself 
and that's that's the habit and it's overcoming that that's when you were talking earlier about, about saying like you know I, I feel like this i'm choosing not to it yeah it's really hard to tell your brain to stop thinking like that. it just it becomes a self-reinforcing loop a bit yeah. like ipms judging bullshit it's just <laughs> it can't change till it really changes so well, i mean especially I mean, when, when something just like slams into you out of nowhere it's you know if i have time to like sit and think with something i can yeah i can step back but when it's like you know some you know something my wife says like hits a hits a raw spot while i'm already flooded because you know one of the kids is running around being crazy and i'm like in that place my brain will react to those things before i have a chance to even understand what's happening and yeah that's you trained it to think a certain way maybe and yeah. it just sort of does and, it and yeah. so being able to like catch me like nope 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 you're not doing that this time. like that's that's yeah. my current struggle but um but yeah it's it's definitely like the brain likes to get into its little into its little habits and even though you can tell yourself my brain is half the time lying to me or blowing shit out of proportion it's also very good at being like but what if i'm not what if i am telling you the truth <laughs> yeah there's that almost fear that you'll miss it if something yeah. you know that you could stop the problem if you if you know it's there and yeah. you tell yourself i know about it so i can you know even though there's not really a problem yeah I do tend to think of it as spirals and you do have to recognize when one starts and interrupt it. That's the trick. Yeah. And I think so much of this too comes back to creatives and it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Are we creatives because we have so much anxiety that we find solutions that make things so good and so beautiful that it'll overcome these anxieties or the vice versa is the anxiety, what fuels the creativity uh, in the first place. It's, it's hard to know, but I do, you know, I've been around creative, uh, Tracy, say with me, design school friends, uh, you know, and, and creative friends all my life. Uh, I think you're fucking with art school, not this art school. <laughs> oh, sorry. My bad. My bad. Uh, you know, um, there's art school up here, and then there's design school the next level. Yeah, you're tradesmen. <laughs> you're artists. You can make I'm just a be on the same. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a job with yours. <laughs> I do wonder whether actually maybe the reason we're so good at catastrophizing is because we're really creative at it. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's there's a certain level of creativity. And, you know, Ira Glass, I, I blog this, and again, I can share in the show notes, but I blog this quote from, from Ira Glass about, uh, you know, creation creativity, where he's talking about the, you know, to, to be creative with good taste is to see a gap in your own abilities that you continually struggle to, to overcome. Right. And, and he's, he does a much better job of describing it. But this idea is I know where I'm supposed to be. I can see it. I can visualize it. I understand it. And I can see directly in my work, my activities, my choices, where the shortcomings are. And to your point, Chris, we're creative enough to get really good at the good taste part well before our skills have the ability to catch up. If ever. Right. And it's and it's in that gap that creates just infuriating frustration uh for creative types i would just one thing else i'd like to say though for me um that the 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 ssris or whatever they're called uh i'm on one and frankly i think it saved my life that you know if you're really struggling go to the doctor because you know and the medication's only kind of a sticking plaster for it you need to work on your sort of yourself Mm -hmm. to overcome it but that sticking plaster can really help you through I really help you do the other stuff. Well, for that, in that interest, I mean, I know that 
mechanisms over medications thing is, I mean, that's a really easy sort of platitude, right? And one thing that I've had to learn in my life is that what might be a a natural mechanism for me and might be easy for me isn't necessarily the same for somebody else. Not everybody thinks the same. Not everybody can think the same. So I don't want you to think that I'm like, you know, oh, you just need to read this book because it's not like that at all. But the book that Matt and I were referencing before, the, the subtle, it's not the fine art, it's the subtle art of not giving a fuck as maybe a supplement. I, I don't know. It, it's it's one of the most powerful books I've ever read because it breaks it down in ways that I think a lot, I mean, should, could be good for anybody to be able to say, okay, this is a different way of looking at the problem. This is a way of reframing it. And reframing things is a fundamental part of stoicism where it's like, okay, how can I change my perspective on this problem? And it's powerful, but it's, you know, it's just one more thing. Yeah, and I'll I'll wrap up, uh, you know, my thoughts on this subject. You know, to to Chris's point, sometimes the, the medication is is important. I, I'm I have six years of weekly group therapy every single week for six years under my belt at this point, um, and I've been doing uh, individual for a long time. It was weekly. Now it's kind of biweekly or triweekly. Um, but there came a point where that only did so much. And in the last couple of months, it's been really obvious how much the medication along with the other, the, the talk therapy work has been important. So, you know, it's, it's not a one or the other, it's definitely the, the right combination of both, whatever that means for, for each person. I don't think really there's any one solution for people that have these kind of mental health issues, but there are lots mm-hmm. out there. And the important mm-hmm. thing is to recognize you have a, an issue yeah. Give yourself permission and not be to afraid to go it, do something about yeah. it, and then go and do yeah. something about it. Yeah, it's yeah, not be afraid to bring to. it back to scale modeling, <laughs> the actual topic of this podcast. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, fuck them it's it's like having <laughs> it's like having a whole selection of decal softening solutions or putties or you know fillers. Uh, there is no <laughs> one thing that works for everybody, and it's important to recognize that. And I just hope. Um, you know, we got to wrap it up here. We've been at this for a long time, but I hope that this has been sort of a valuable departure in our normal format. Um, I, you know, I confess to just being a little selfish in that I just wanted to hang out with some of my favorite people and talk, you know, have some real talk about real shit. Cause frankly, I don't get to do that very much. I live out in the middle of nowhere. I live on a farm I have no real normal person-to-person social life to speak of. And for me, you know, this podcast has been an opportunity to actually just hang out with my bros and and just, you know, talk shit. But it's always been very focused on the model-making stuff. And so I wanted to expand that a little bit and but also, you know, try to keep it tied to tied to to what this, you know, what what we do for fun. And so I just appreciate you guys being willing to <laughs> humor me and allow this sort of divergence, uh, you know, from the whole paint and glue and decals thing. Um, I, I appreciate you guys for being willing to do it. And I hope that it's, you know, I hope that our listeners dig it 
and that it's been and that it's been a good way to sort of cap off 50 episodes it's hard to believe yeah yeah i think uh it's we in some ways talking to people about how they build models and what paints they use and what their thinning ratio is is uh is the easy part right like we we all get something out of that we all enjoy listening to to other people enjoying the hobby and and you know digging for insights and what other people have to say and this is kind of the same it's it's like how we can continue how we have to what am i trying to say here how we have to the modifications and the deviations and the detours that we have to make in order to continue to enjoy the hobby and to, and to continue to be around to enjoy the hobby and and again like if you're listening to this we may not be able we may not be um giving you insights into into how to spray vallejo uh but we're giving you maybe some insights <laughs> we can't fix everything <laughs> jesus vallejo <laughs> i think i think this is more valuable tracy because if you're trying to spray vallejo you need mental health help well <laughs> yeah i mean somewhere in all this there's there's a nugget that's um that's as valuable as as that uh unattainable one i guess <laughs> if people take nothing else from this episode it's really important to me that there's, if there's someone listening who thinks like I did that um, that you know oh I'm just I, I can't handle this everyone else can and I can't other people can't it's okay to not be able to handle it and it's okay to get help to find out how to handle absolutely. it absolutely and I'm going to put some links in the show notes uh, if you you know you got a a bit worried about about tackling the s word on this show so um i'll put some links in there if you're feeling that way please please do call someone yeah yeah i mean if you're thinking about that and just just you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be in this world so before you do anything rash talk to somebody Absolutely. I mean, look, if there is any, like, like Tracy said, if there's even a single nugget, if there's even one little thing that you pick up on that causes you to go, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe I should check into that too. I mean, I think that's like, that's, that's, that's what happened for me with the whole TRT thing. Maybe that's not the thing for you. Maybe a book is not the thing for you. Maybe, you know, SSRIs, whatever. But if there's anything in here that you guys out there in listener land pick up on that uh, helps you improve your quality of life, helps you make a change, helps you turn things around if you're struggling, then, hey, it's been a worthwhile three hours. Yeah, love yourself, people. That's right. I think that's probably the best sign off we've ever <laughs> All right. So with that, well, thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for being a part Thank of Thank you this. guys for being here. Yeah, thanks Jake, so much. Matt, you guys have been great guests. And, um, you know, we're going to have you back at episode 100. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's already busy that day. <laughs> 